Nothing wrong with that. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Howdy, everybody. I'm Rob. And I'm Ira. And this is Antiway. Yes, it is. A podcast that focuses on the diamonds in the rough. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good because the movie we're discussing this week is... Uncut, uncut Penises. Uncut, gems. Uncut gems. gems. Uncut Gems. And our top five happens to be... What? Well, it's not... Re- you don't think I know, do you? No, you it's don't. It's not related to the film. We're doing an anomaly because we're going to talk about our favorite top five films of the 2019. 2019, buddy. Come on. Did you oh, forget all your speech skills? It's 2019. You know, you're right. You're supposed not, to say it that way. It's not 2019. Yeah, you're right. Of 2019. 2019. Top five... Fa- <laughs> Shall we introduce You don't say 19,096, do you? Well, okay. Your point is well made. All right. Can we start all over? You'll start all over. Okay. Howdy, everybody. With us, <laughs> yes. because it's the new year. Yes. I don't know if that, it's that, that's really it. We haven't done anything with Craig in the new year before, but we are now. Hey, Craig. Hey, guys. Craig Hamill, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Woo! And if it sounds a little different this week, that's because we are not recording in our usual space. We are recording at the club. Craig, uh, you are the director, owner, CEO, genius behind... Founder. Founder. That's probably it. Uh, behind the secret movie club, right? Uh, the, the, I, you know, I always, when I sign my emails, I, I, I struggled over what to call myself. It's funny. You guys went through <laughs> like a number of titles and they felt too... Like highfalutin, so I say. You don't think genius behind the secret movie, <laughs> secret movie club is really a good that one? That was that was the only one I agreed with. But the uh, <laughs> uh, the the founder programmer, I, I always hmm. call myself founder programmer. Founder slash programmer. Yeah, I was going to say, slash. is there a slash? I need to know this. It's, I think it's actually an ampersand. Oh. Founder and programmer. Ah. Secret ah. movie club. Well, Craig, it's great to have you here. We haven't spoken to you since Blade Runner. Uh, was it 20? What's the year? 2029? 2049. 2049, yeah. uh, which was a while back. But Craig, you have been one of the best guests we've had on this show, and we've had a bunch. And uh, it's great to, to be back and talking with you. Um, man, I feel like, you know, you know what I feel like? Ira? What, what do you feel like? You know how, like, when you. When you're when you're having when you're banging your girlfriend and then you break up for a while. Yeah. And then you get back together for like, you know, hey, it's been a long time sex. That's that, what this feels like to be with Craig. Is that is that why you're hard? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm usually hard anyway, but Craig's here. Yeah. Well, so I'm like the, the ex-girlfriend you call? Yeah. <laughs> you're my booty call. <laughs> and then like we go out for a few months till you remember why we broke up. <laughs> That's exactly And then it, it. happens again and, and, and you're it, in a loop. You're yeah. in a loop. You're, this this so, is... So we're, I'm the one before you marry yeah. is what you're saying. Exactly. Oh, okay. This is starting to get cathartic. <laughs> hey, uh, so Craig, tell us... Uh, actually, before we, we get too much into Craig, is that what you, well, I'm going to do in a minute, Ira... What kind of uh, top fives did we do last week? Do you recall? Or I do. Last episode. I, should, last I almost episode. said last year. I well, I, it was, it last, was year. last year. It was last year. Yeah. Uh, and we did blonde movies. Mm-hmm. We did because of the movie Bombshell. And a few people and wrote some in with some really top fives that we Let's missed. Let's share a few of these, shall we? Uh, the Man Who Knew Too Much. That was starring, what's her name, right? Doris, yeah. Doris Day. Day. What's her hey, name? Sarah, Sarah. Remember she sang that song? I Whatever do. will be. Okay. So we had that. Overboard. Was I can't that? believe they said Man Who Knew Too Much and not uh, Vertigo. Oh. You know? Oh, that's good too. Basically, yeah. any Hitchcock movie. You know, yeah. also Madonna, the documentary "Truth or Dare." Yeah, that's a that good one. was really a good one that somebody wrote in. Yeah, Romney Long. and Michelle. Romy. Ro- Romy. Ro- is it Romy? Romy. Mitt Romney was Nick. Mitt Romney and Michelle. High school reunion. Romy, I love this movie. Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. You saw it, right? Yeah, of course. I really like that film. Yeah. 
I, I thought it was just a celebration at the end when they were doing a ballet pirouette mm-hmm. at the end. I just love that film. Some others, if I may. Please, um, with, yeah. uh, Bo Derek, who was in, in Ten, Ten, the movie Ten. Yeah, that with was, the and, braids. Yes. And let's not forget Dr. No, when Ursula Andress, um, she comes out. Yeah. Remember that? So, so we really had some good ones you from know, our listeners. Ursula is the ugliest name. And Andress, Ursula Andress, she's like the, the complete exact opposite of what you would expect yes. a woman named Ursula to look like. I would never date an Ursula. No. Craig, would you ever date a woman named Ursula if you weren't married? Sure. <laughs> I would. I receive it on uh, on like on Tinder, and he, he swipes automatically. Why are you putting up these artificial, like what, Ursula Andress, Honey Rider from Doctor No? Yeah. Now well, I'm happily well, married. But you're associating her with the actual person. We're saying the name alone. Right, That's but, your point, isn't it? Yeah, you, you could get that, or you could get Ursula from Little Mermaid. You know, the big sea witch. With the, yeah. Yeah. Is that really a possibility? It's a possibility, I guess. You know, you could you could be uh, you know having if dinner. With like a, an animated character who's going to cast spells and shit on you. But or... that's interesting. <laughs> Is, I mean, that'd be an interesting date, yeah. wouldn't it? You're going to be a fish for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she's magic. I'd want to know how she's that works. <laughs> You'd want to. <laughs> she, has, she gives magic oral. Uh, Craig, let's talk to you for a minute. Tell us about what's going on with, uh, with the Secret Movie Club, with where things have been, what's going on. You got a new space. Tell us all about that. That's Well, that's, that's kind of you guys. Uh, the it's great to be back here. Thank you guys for having me back on. Uh, I just love to talk about movies, and so any chance I get, and you do it well. Well, that, so I'm I'm grateful we're going to be talking because I just saw Uncut Gems today, mm, so it is today. fresh in my head. Good. Um, good. but but to just real quickly, um, yeah. So we do a Secret Movie Club, which is L.A. based, and we've been showing movies for four years almost uh, solely at the Vista Theater in Las Feliz. The Vista is, is still our beating heart. So we're expanding, but we're not moving. We're still doing like 12 to 14 movies a month at the Vista. But the, the at the Vista, we can only show in the mornings and midnights and only on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So now that we, we've sort of built the audience, we're... Uh, doing a series, a movie palace series at the great movie palaces that you and I were talking about on Broadway. Right. Because I'm an L.A. native, and I love those palaces, and they just sit there. The Orpheum, the Million Los Angeles, Dollar Theater. Yeah. Exactly. The Million Dollar, the State, the Palace. I probably just said that. The United Artists. So uh, once a month, uh, we're going to show an epic movie there. So in January, the, we're recording this January 2020. On January 19th and the 26th, Sundays at 4 p.m., we're doing Godfather 1 and 2 on 35 millimeter at the movie palace. Wow. And then at the Vista, we're doing Stephen King cinema. So movies like the dead zone, which is horrifically topical and uh, <laughs> creep show and Shawshank and stand by me. Then we're also doing a anime buffet. So we're doing like cowboy bebop and uh, paprika and a uh, 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 ghost in the shell. And then the, our newest venture, which we're sitting in uh, right now and no one has seen it yet and God willing, our first... I know, you're keeping us blindfolded this entire episode. It feels kind of weird. Can we take these masks off? No. I like it. Uh. Yeah. Oh, I, and I like that I can put my hands on your knees. And <laughs> you, there's, Is that you? Hey, that's, that's, not, right. that's not my knee. <laughs> <laughs> it's lying. It's lying. Uh, <laughs> but see, I have plausible deniability. <laughs> right. blindfolded. Who, whose hand was on it? could have been your hand. Uh, <laughs> it was my hand. It was my hand on my knee. Exactly. You didn't know. Uh, the But... Uh, we're recording this in, we're calling it The Club, and it's going to be a 99-seat theater uh, in the Arts District. And the idea is uh, 
I also want it to be a creative incubator for Los Angeles's creatives because, and I don't want to get too highfalutin or pretentious, but my favorite novel is Ulysses by James Joyce. And I love like that thing that happened in Paris where it was Shakespeare and company and you have like Gertrude Stein and Joyce and Hemingway and right. Fitzgerald. And like, they were just all hanging out at this bookstore. And I would love this idea that here at the club, we're going to show deeper dives, avant-garde stuff. Like I love Stan Brackage, but you, you couldn't probably pack the house with Stan Brackage at the Vista, but maybe at a 99 seat theater, if we show it on film, you could. So, but we're also going to do things like film contests. We're going to do Footloose and then have a dance party. We're going to oh. do Josie and the Pussycats and do karaoke. We can do things where, because we have this space 24-7. Like, you know how any series that eventually they're just making 10 of them, one of them goes to space? It just like eventually. <laughs> right, they, Jason goes to space. Jason goes, like literally, yeah. they're there on nine. And yeah. they're like, we got, and then someone just goes space. So like Moonraker. So we're going to do Moonraker, Jason X, Jason 10, and then Leprechaun 4 because so Leprechaun goes to space. And then I think, I mean, now people will hear this because you'll post this. So people are going to hear the secret. But uh, there is a Disney series about the Golden Retrievers, you know, like Air Bud, the Golden Retrievers that play basketball yeah, yeah. called like Air Bud. What did they do when they hit the fourth or fifth one? Airbud in space. Space buddies. That's so funny. Golden retriever puppies go to space. And if you see the trailer for it, there is like a Russian pit bull who's like the Sputnik one who has a Russian accent. <laughs> and the big joke in the trailer is all like, this is crazy, dog. Look, there's the moon, dog. And so like maybe to bring us into the light after Leprechaun 4 and Jason X, we'll just have some pancakes. We'll watch Space Buddies. <laughs> Those sound like horrible movies. I'm sure they are. But Do you know that Ira wrote Leprechaun 4 and did. Space Buddies? I didn't want to say it because I thought it would embarrass you. You'd feel bad. but I don't feel bad did. at all. Leprechaun 4, he comes out of a guy's dick. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That was my scene. That was genius. Ira came out of a guy's dick once. <laughs> oh, no. No, I didn't come out. I came on. Oh, I'm dick. sorry. I got my, my <laughs> prepositions <laughs> confused. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Craig, do you, do you feel like, uh, I mean, the secret... Secret Movie Club, it's no longer a secret, man. You're going to have to change the name to just The Movie Club. Why? Well, it's not a secret. You're on a podcast talking about Foolish it. Foolish Consistency is the hobgoblin <laughs> of little minds. <laughs> so, Isn't I, contradiction at the heart of existence? I would say so. Yeah. yeah we're all so, just waiting to die. So why can't it be Secret Movie Club? Uh, it's a secret to, to ourselves, I guess. What is the secret? Let's, re let's get into that. Craig, uh, this space is incredible. I'm really excited for you. Um, I think this, this whole thing, I can't wait for people to come and see some films here because not only are you going to be able to show some really interesting uh, films here and it's going to be a lot of fun, I think people are just going to dig the space. You've, yeah. got, you've got it decked out really nice. Um, there's a lot of, you've got like a little dance area over here, you know, and it's really cool. Yeah, there's really some cool. spaces to, the, the, yeah, you know, and the other thing too, <laughs> just and if all else fails, you could just recreate Eyes Wide Shut, you know, and just bring a lot of ah. sex people in here, and you got it made. Yeah, I'll walk around with a mask. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 I, I want to think of a rejoinder to that, but I'm like not sleeping at all, <laughs> other than to say I love Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. Uh, the you know, I just saw The Irishman a few weeks ago, and I was mm -hmm. thinking about great movies that directors make in their older age, like. Yeah old man movies for lack of a better term. And I think that, uh, Irishman, uh, eyes wide shut, uh, obscure object of desire and Ron, uh, and the dead John Houston's the dead are probably my favorite old men, like movies that men made in their seventies or people made in their seventies mm. or eighties. So well, I it love it. could be Clint Eastwood retrospect. It could yeah, be right. all of his movies. Everything from Unforgiven <laughs> on. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. Ira's old man movies are usually just the, the little girls who are playing in the, the, 
the apartment next to his that he yeah. uses a little peephole oh. camera for. But oh. yeah, in 3D. <laughs> in 3D, yeah. Perv. The, uh, but to answer your question about <laughs> to just to bring it back from from that. I like to make it nice and awkward, and then that, everybody's stewing it. No, that's nice. <laughs> Keeps me alive. Keeps me awake. Keeps me crisp. But go ahead. Keeps I'm sorry. me frosty. Uh, the, the, uh, the, so just uh, so folks know about the club, like, for instance, we're doing a Giallo series in March, mm-hmm. and we got access to some great 70s uh, prints of these deep-cut Giallo titles on 35. I could never do that at the Vista because sure. maybe that's going to bring 30 or 40 people. But, but we could do that here. We're doing anime, and I wanted to do Satoshi Kon, and, but we couldn't program Millennium Actress at the Vista because we, we might get 50 people, but we can do Millennium Actress here. Right. So the great thing now is that we can actually program series where if it's a really epic movie, maybe that's a movie palace. Most movies, that's the Vista. And if we wanted to go deeper into a genre or deeper into something, we can do that here at the club. And then, as you said, you, you know, I've always loved just what we're doing here, which is talking. I mean, that's. I don't know what it is if you love books or you love movies or you love uh, music. One of the great things is just sitting and talking about it. Like, have you heard this album? Did you see this movie? Da-da-da. And so the thing about the club will be, yes, we'll see the movie, but then if you want to hang for an hour or two, we've got couches, and you can just kick it. We'll put on some music. And and hopefully I want creative people to meet each other, and maybe you meet a cinematographer or an actor or a musician. You're like, oh, we should do something. So we want it to be a, a place where we celebrate cinema, and then maybe relationships are made and art gets made, and we can hang up photos and paintings, and we can do music, and it can. It's just a creative incubator. Could That's what we want it to be. There be any single women there? I I would imagine not up here there. <laughs> and uh, yes, many of our audiences. <laughs> a lot of single folks. So. <laughs> That's true. And why do you think we met him? Well, for that reason. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Craig, I, I'm really excited for you. I think this is going to be yeah. uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to some of the series 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 that you put together. Um, I think you know, That's just, interesting. A multiple ser- series series which is more than one. But if you have multiple series is a series is. I'm being serious. <laughs> Are you I'm being, being serious, serious about these series? <laughs> I don't know grammatically. No, I, I'm really. Is that true? I don't know. Because when you say like series. the many series at series LACMA. Is. I don't know. I don't have the answer. <laughs> I can't believe you're so serious about series. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's, it's, you can do some Bruce Connor weirdo art stuff. You know, Totally. Like There's going to be some, some cool stuff going on here. Absolutely. I'm digging it. Ira. Yes, sir. What movies did you see this oh, week? Oh, are you? But before we do that, yeah. I'm going to hijack things just for a moment. As usual. With a, as I often do at this point. Uh, in the news, I have a new ditty. Got the blues. It's time for some news. Okay, so he does see? these ditties. He liked it. He knows not, my ditties. Don't even chuckle Look at, at his him. expression. Like, that's, that's a condescending laugh. That's like how... That's it's, charming. It's, oh, see? my God. See? Craig. He's way too nice you. to you. Thank you. Thank you. And I think you're charming. Well, thank you, Ira. <laughs> Should I leave? Don't let Robert gaslight just, you. <laughs> thank you. I like this guy. Um, You're gold, gaslighting me. All I wanted, the Golden Globes was last oh, night. Oh, okay. And let's just very briefly, there were really no surprises, but I want to say that I was really happy when Laura Dern won because I have a thing about her. Don't mm-hmm. we? Laura Dern is Did just she, I didn't watch it. Did she win for Marriage Story? Yes. Yeah, she's dynamite. Yeah, she was dynamite in that as the uh, attorney. And also, some highlights for me, Tom Hanks. Uh, gave an incredible speech yet again. That's what I heard. Just an amazing speech. But then the antithesis of that, we have Tom on one hand and then Joaquin on the other. 
Did you happen to see Joaquin's? I didn't see any of it. Uh, you didn't see any? Or did you see Joaquin? I didn't see I didn't watch it. It makes me anxious. I'm Why? so anxious when he's speaking. He's flubbering. He's floundering. He's going all over the place. Oh. It's it's a little bit edgy and scary. And what's your well, core he's point? crazy. I know he is. I know he is. But I just want to acknowledge the Golden Globes of last night, which, as we all know, is somewhat of a precursor for the Oscars. Well, didn't they do a big study to reveal that it, it's not? I it know, doesn't we, indicate I've at all that. what the I've Oscars heard are doing? Yeah. yeah. So that's not a precursor. We think that it is, but it's absolutely not. That's right. Then why did I watch this? Here's a random question. Yeah. They have booze at the Golden Globes. Right. They yes, have booze they at the Oscars. Oscars. They did for a long time, but they don't anymore. I, they do have booze, but it's like a... Um, After? No, it's a bar. You'll see people that are gone. It's because they're going to get wasted at the bar. Mm. So you have to go to the bar. But to, at the at the Golden Globes... They serve you at the table. It's at the table. Got it. Yeah. And so people are just getting wasted. And I mean, it's, it's a dinner. So you're sitting there... <laughs> drink after drink after drink feasting on this stuff so now here's a here's a totally sort of oddball question but um because i think about these things i i love my martinis but if Two i love straight up dirty oh, and with, now here's the big question vodka or gin i'm a vodka man yeah baby oh yeah no gin get, get gin out of my face <laughs> uh the and you know someone get his chin out of your face <laughs> No, oh. his chin can be oh, in my okay, face okay. all it wants to be. It's, okay, not, uh, it's not my chin. <laughs> the, but, but so the question is, if you know you may have to speak or you're at an event where you're going to have to go up, I, wouldn't, I will not take a drink until after my speaking is done. Why would you? That's uh, the, crazy. And some people say that because I, I, I like to be sharp. Yeah. And so I won't touch anything if I have to do, if I have to speak. Yeah. And then once I've done it and yes. I know it's done and I can sit down, then I'll it have. It loosens people up. That's the other argument. I wouldn't do it either. I'd be anxious. Like, I hope I'm not too loose and I don't know what I'm going to no, say. No, exactly. I like, I like to be in control. Or I like to be in control. So You I know what blows be... my mind is in any of these award shows, when you see people who get up there and they go, oh, I, I haven't rehearsed this and I didn't know what I'm going to say. Why wouldn't you rehearse this? Why wouldn't you practice this? Why don't you have, at very least, pull out a piece of paper with some notes on it? You're allowed to do that. But these people that, that your job is to prepare for a role. That's your job. And you're not doing it. You know what? They did practice. They were being humble. But, it, but then they go up there and they humble. melt down. <laughs> and it's, it, it's evident that they did not indeed yeah, practice. Yeah, They're like yeah. trying to prove how they didn't practice. It, it, you're not being humble. You look like you look incompetent. And really, I have a feeling they go back and look on this years later and go, that was my acceptance speech. Mm. Like that was my moment to shine. And I, I said that. Really, that's what you want to leave as your legacy when people look at this moment? But, I mean, how many people – I, I mean, not to get into too deep a thing about – because I also want to be totally candid. I, You've never won an Oscar? Never. Oh. I know. I know. I, I got no, into you're one of those. False, false. I know you guys thought I did, and that's mm. why I'm sitting here at the mic. But. Okay, we got to go. Uh, <laughs> until next week, ladies and gentlemen. But, you know, I would love – it would be it would be great to win an award, and, and I, would, I, would, I would love it um, – but I think everybody who who takes a few, no one remembers any of that. Like I always think the the funnest game to think of is like what won best picture in the year Couldn't that tell you. good Couldn't tell. right? Couldn't the, tell you. You say I love Goodfellas, right? Oh, good. Like ninety two, uh, ninety. I think it was okay. Goodfellas is nineteen ninety. I have trouble with last year. What what? That's your point, right? What movie won best picture in nineteen ninety? Oh, you're saying oh, it wasn't Goodfellas? It was not. Oh, who won best actor? Actually, I think it was Unforgiven. No, 90, was that, it, was 90, that was 92. 92. Yeah. I have trouble with last year. What won the Oscar for two, year, two years ago? Last year was Green Book. You're right. Two years ago. That was the Moonlight debacle. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. That's right. It was, it was La La Land. 
Right. <laughs> and then Moonlight. The, but it was, it, you know, and it was a totally good movie. It was Dances with Wolves, 1990. All right. Was Best Picture. But, but I think the thing is that in a weird way, if you're, if you're just honest with yourself, um, it's not like there are very few moments that people talk about or remember. Now, there are some that are like the, there was a streaker. Right. There was when Marlon Brando had the Native American session Little Feather, except for him instead of him. There are things that get talked about. Or you about. like me, you really like me. What's her it's, name? It's uh, Sally Field. Sally Field. Totally. Um, but, but it's the, and I guess that's why I think too, and I know we're going off like into the deep end. That's no, okay. That's what this podcast is for. The, the, I always, as somebody who believes in being civically engaged and who believes in being, you, I don't, I don't think it's right not to be engaged with the issues of your time. And yet paradoxically, I just don't think those are the platforms to deliver political messages. Um, oh, I agree with that. Yeah. And I always get very frustrated when people spend their goodwill capital on a message that can't Absolutely. be a communication. You should with have them. heard Ricky. What's that? Ricky Gervais. The host. Gervais. Yeah. I mean, he came down really hard. As he should. He came down really it's hard. Obnoxious. These people. He was drinking a beer up there as the host. He said a lot of provocative things, a lot of edgy things, and he actually said, "You people have opinions on all these. What's going on socially? But you're the ones who have." You hire private jets to take you all over the country using more fuel, adding to... And he said, and you people didn't go to college. You, most of you people did not go to college. Why should we be listening to you? And at the very end of the show, he said, all right, we're done. Take your little trophies, do some drugs, and get the fuck out of here. He said that. Wow. And there was a big push to have him host every year from now on. Ratings, ratings, ratings. Yeah. And he was like, no, not a chance. Not going to happen. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's not appropriate. But I do think if you're going to say something, if you're going to thank your wife, if you're going to thank God or whoever you're going to thank, you should rehearse it. You should go over it so that you're not a bumbling sure, mess when sure. you go up there. And I think what I mean to say about I agree with your, that. your legacy is while you're right, I can't I, off the top of my head. I couldn't remember that, that you know, what movie won. And even if I could, I think I would be an anomaly, right? I, I, your point is well made on me of like what movie could one best picture of 1990. Uh, I'm a movie buff. I couldn't remember off the top of my head. I'm sure if I sat here and thought about it long enough, I might have gotten close. But the point being, most people aren't remembering that. Most people aren't going to look up acceptance speeches. But the fact is that many people are watching these shows and it's really, some of them, it's their only chance to see these actors out of character. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're seeing the actor come up and receive an award. And Daniel Day-Lewis lets his character go and becomes Daniel Day-Lewis in that moment sure. and says something. And if you're going to waste exactly what you said, good, you know, capital, goodwill, on, goodwill capital on saying some sort of political message, you're going to turn some people off. You might, some people might support it. But the, the point is, whatever you say should be eloquent. It should be rehearsed. Well, and, and, and there's another thing. And this is the thing, like... <laughs> I, I want to be really clear. You know, there there's this thing of you need to know the medium and you need to know how that's being received, which means you have to kind of get outside of yourself. So there, when it can be a conversation, that's the time to engage. Mm -hmm. But as you said, if you're just speaking, um, it's almost like you're showing respect to the diversity of the people watching rather than lecturing them in a way that they can't respond to in that moment. Right. You know, you say something, I agree with you, it should be rehearsed, but that comes from your heart, that's gracious, sure. that maybe gives out just, you know, the best thing you could do is give out, you know, 
a sense of, of tolerance and acceptance and kindness and graciousness. And that's going to be felt more by the audience than any, anything you could lecture them about right. in that moment. Right. By the way, a, tag, a, a PS to all this. Do you know the food that they served at the Golden Globe dinner? It was all vegetables. I heard about that. It was all vegetables. They did that because evidently harvesting. It was vegetarian. Yeah, I don't know if it was all vegetables. Vegetarian because harvesting meat hurts the, the climate and all that. So right. You know, say, fuck you. You know that if don't we'd you, gone there, Ira, we would have gone to Burger King. I would right have had a, right? a juicy cheeseburger and just. It, you you, you would have brought your own steak. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. regardless, so much, so much for the Golden Globes. Okay. But that, but that's like, I, I, yeah. I know we got to move on, but but that that what you just said. There's obnoxiousness on all sides, yeah. and and when when there's obnoxiousness, it turns a lot of people off. Yeah, not to be obnoxious. No, I, you're absolutely right, and I think I think that's obnoxious to do to other people. If you're going to have a, you should have a vegetarian option. Oh, absolutely. But when you're saying you all are not allowed it's to eat meat here, thrusting your values on everyone in the room. Right, right. That's what it's doing. Yeah, this is why we're turning off twenty percent of the country, thirty percent of the country. <laughs> but but you know, I think I don't even think it's that. I think most people are. I think most people are sane. I think you have a few people who are very vocal and they're leading the way for the rest of the insane world to fucking follow anyway what movies did you see summer this week, old Ira? summer new we now present the week in review come on that was good huh huh i, I, I like the rhyme <laughs> i'm reading a lot of dr seuss to my kids i appreciate that wow a- no wait he said blues and news and that you gave that a pass there All was right, a I, cat we haven't been together mat. in a while a couple of weeks but i'll just acknowledge the four movies if i may number one tammy and the t-rex have you heard about this film? No. Tammy and the T-Rex. In 1994, a bad, cheesy movie, and it's all about not an actual T-Rex the animal, but it's one of those audio-matron Disneyland things, and it gets the brain of the boyfriend inside it. So now he goes looking for the girlfriend. It was a horrible, bad, cheesy movie made in 1994 starring Denise, awesome. Denise Richards. Oh, my gosh. Denise Richards and Paul Walker. Yes, Paul Walker, <laughs> the Paul Walker before he died? was in this film before. We're not sure. We're not sure. Tammy and the T-Rex. Something else I saw, Little Women. I went to see it because I have a thing for Laura Dern. Did you really? So, yeah, yeah. How was it? Yeah, it was. It did what it was supposed to I do. I heard it's really It good. was beautifully photographed. I had trouble with the timeline. Uh, first of all, I think it was a little bit too long, but also it was tripping out. It was going back in time, then the future, and back in time, the future. And it was very subtle the way that was done, and it made it more complicated than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. The original had a linear timeline. Here they got creative, going into different eras and so on. Uh, in That's addition- surprising that you went to see that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I am too. I also saw, maybe you're familiar with this, Back to Eternity. Back to Eternity, 1958, black and white movie. It's one of those people That's on a plane. That's from here to eternity. No, I no, no, no. I know my differences. <laughs> They're stranded on an island, a plane crash and so on. I want to say that it's with Rod Steiger and Anita Egberg and also the director, Mia Farrow's dad, John Farrow, oh, wow. directed this film. So uh, that was it. In was last it any good? It was, you know what? It was entertaining. It did what it was supposed to do, and I enjoyed it for what it was. A B, black and white movie 1950 uh 1958 the last one i want to mention is on on the disney channel disney plus been hearing a lot of good things about that as a streaming service and i saw a documentary called encore have you heard about this Mm -hmm. what they do is it's it's a disney streaming documentary series series and what they do is they it's high school musical 
They show snippets of it of many years ago. Then they track down these people and what they're doing today. Oh. I really like this. And you get to know them, what they're doing, and then they bring them all back to recreate the musical 20 years later. So wait, they're all high school musicals? Well, yes. It begins with one. Like the one I saw was Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. So you saw scenes from it. the way Because everyone has a video camera, but even back then. Right, sure, sure. And you saw snippets, and then they track down these people. And, and like, I, think one, I have uh, heard of this. Have you heard of it? It I, was really entertaining, and I was riveted by this premise. And it's like 20 years later, and this person is selling shoes. Someone else is working. The, they didn't make stardom. They didn't make stardom. But you get to know. Hearing their story is more important than the documentary. Obviously, it's about their stories. Right. And they all come together. It's very emotional. They hug each other, and they bring back the either the same director who did it 20 years earlier or a different director. They rehearse, they rehearse, they rehearse, pack the auditorium, they put on the show. So the huh. documentary is bookended with the two musicals in the past and then the one that was done now. It's really an intriguing, compelling premise. I think I'd heard something about that, but I didn't know the name of the show. Yeah, Encore, which is a great name. Yeah. Encore, that's a yeah. terrific name yeah. for this series. That's what I saw this week. Craig, Guys, did you see anything this week? Well, I saw the movies we showed at Secret Movie. What did you, what what did you show this week? The, and I saw a new one, because I, I do program occasionally movies I haven't seen, but but that I feel we can do, and then I get to see them with an audience. So I saw for... The, can I ask you, before you get into what movie you saw, sure. when you go to... Because you get, you get these movies from the studios a lot of times, right? Usually. Do you ever do you when you do that when you go to say Warner Brothers and you get the the movie from them do you sit down and watch it at Warner Brothers or do you just take the word for it that the print is good or how does what's that process like Well so the it's been refined over 4 years uh initially I used to go to the warehouses I was the courier for uh -huh. Secret Movie Club and I I meet all the people and uh, we'd put a reel up and we'd look at it and they were actually very tolerant of me because that's not standard. Oh. Uh, I would go to Universal and there were these lifers. They're still there, Dave and Gene. And I'd like ask Dave, like, Dave, can I look at a reel of, of Jaws? And he'd be like, okay. He was like literally humoring me. <laughs> I, I think he found it cute that this guy was so, I'd put up the reel on the light bench and I'd just check it out. And it was, you know, and it, it was thrilling. But then you you after a few prints you know universal takes great care of their prints okay uh warner brothers takes great care of their prints um and then uh every now and then uh, it's really hard to believe but they'll be like we don't have a 35 of that which i think is sort of like translation for we're not going to give you our 35 mm. uh, like we have one 35 and if steven spielberg's there then and you know you wanted to show whatever then we'll do it but uh so then you go to private collectors and university archives um and then it gets a little more you get what you get uh, and we've had, but we've been pretty lucky for the most part, I'd say 90% of what we've shown has been a C plus or above, which, hmm. which would be tolerable, but we have gotten probably in our four years, five prints that you, I just like, I was wincing the whole time and I just offered people complimentary tickets or we didn't know, or, you know, we got it from an, we got it from a third vendor and our third party and sure. turned out like one that was really funny as we did. Uh, Godzilla series and we did Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, that sounds like that's going to be some bad prints. So we got Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla and the whole thing was magenta, which oh, is what yeah. happens before they got the good film stock. Yeah. It'll go pink. They call it going pink. And this whole thing and some guy came out afterwards and was like, "Wow, what a bold creative choice." Like, ah. And I you know, for a moment you're like, "Wow, he's being really kind," but I had to like put my hand on his shoulder and be like, "Sir, that was not how they shot that. Like that that movie had a full spectrum color palette. We got a print that just went completely pink. 
and I apologize. <laughs> now, if you could please step this way without a complimentary pass, that'd be great. <laughs> Did, so do you think that's the worst movie you've screened in terms of printing? No, because the, the funny thing is the sound was great. Uh, One of the things you learn is that the image can be really degraded. Yeah, the sound is but everything. But it's the sound that will, that the sound is what triggers complimentary passes more than anything. So we did, what did we do? We did Lethal Weapon, and the uh, image was beautiful. It was beautiful. Uh, just pristine blues, great. But the sound, the, the print had somehow the film itself had shrunk, and the sound reader wasn't reading it right. So uh. you would get you, a little bit of a scene, and then you get... Talking, 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 talking. And that was just enough that it was not enjoyable, even though people were very like, oh, no, don't worry about it. But immediately people came out. I was like, look, complimentary passes for all of you, because that was not up to our standards. So yeah. so you just have it's, it's a case by case. Your decision situation. There you go. To answer your question, hmm. I saw for the first time John Carpenter's Christine. Oh, you hadn't seen it before? Never. Uh, wow. What do you think? You know, I, I really, really liked it. I actually it was hmm. really well directed, really fun. The way the car comes to life and like rebuilds itself. Yeah, that's a great is, scene. Yeah, like how did they do that? Um, the but the thing is that the premise itself is so silly uh, <laughs> that uh, you know I haven't read the novel, but the thing in my head was I, I was like I, going into it I was like this is great. You take adolescence and car culture, which is so woven into adolescence because the first time you really get identity or freedom is when you get your car right. or when you get to drive your car. Uh, and I thought it was going to riff on that a little more. And it ended up just more being about a haunted car. Uh, and it didn't really even explain why it was haunted. Uh, and, and maybe the King novel did. But so my takeaway was like, wow, great John Carpenter direction right after the thing. Yeah. Like he's at the top of his game. I really like Keith Gordon. I, I really like uh, Arnie as a character. Christine is the, great. The scene where the car catches fire and runs over the dude yeah. is dope and blows up the gas station. Yeah. So I was loving it. And then at the end, I was like, nah, a little silly. Ira, do you remember My Mother the Car? Of course I do. How do you remember it, Robert? <laughs> How do you know these references? <sighs> Do you know My Mother the Car, Craig? I, I, I've heard of it. It's a Is TV it a show. It was a TV show in the 60s. Mm -hmm. I want to say 63, 4, something mm -hmm. like that. And I think it only lasted like one season, but it was known oh, for... that. I thought it was canceled in half a uh, season. Yeah, I think so. I it think was three or four known episodes. for being like the worst TV the worst show TV of all show time. The worst TV show ever made. Yeah. yeah. Have you yeah. ever seen, and your audience should do this, it's so funny you say this, YouTube, I think it's called like... It's like some... Polish name for a dog. So it's like Pachinski. Uh-huh. Have you heard about this? No. So they shot this pilot where a cop dies, played by Peter Boyle, and he comes back as a dog <laughs> named Pachinski who can talk, and it's a Muppet dog, and then he partners up with his like living partner to solve his own murder or something, and it's like... 8 p.m. Fridays on ABC, Pachinski. And it's just Peter Boyle, like, doing the voice of the dog. And you watch it, and <laughs> you're like, surreal. whoa. Not since Cop Rock has a movie or a TV show been this interesting. I don't know, whatever. Uh, that's funny. And they went ethnic with it, too. It, yeah. it, it could have just been, like, pooch. But it pooch. was Puchinski. That's really funny. You know that somebody was uh, pitching that, and like, I can't believe this got through. How the fuck did that, did that happen? One word. <laughs> Cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but e even even the name, my mother, the car. It's yeah. like it's making an effort to be bad and Horrible. cheesy. My mother, 
the but, car. But do you ever think about like like you know? I know we're having a very Russian novel kind of conversation here that's going into little rivulets and stuff. But like cats, we're talking in January 2020, and if people for some reason are listening to this 10 years from now, they may not be aware that this movie Cats, uh, the musical, but it turned into the movie, had pedigree cast, pedigree singers, pedigree director, pedigree source material. Everyone is talking about how did that movie and its approach get greenlit? And you do wonder, like, you know, when when the train gets going, what are the decisions that that lead to a final product where you're like, whoa. And, you know, Pachinsky or My Mother the Car, it's not like people were totally aware. Maybe they were, but at the time that, you know, it got to, it was shot. And Cats, you know, you had a great, you have Idris Elba, you have Jennifer Hudson, you, yeah. have, you have the guy who did who won the Academy Award, Tom uh, Hooper, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so King Speech. Yeah, King Speech. So why, everybody would be like, no. James we, Corden. Is a, James a, Corden. Corden in this film. Judy Dench, yeah. Ian McKellen. Yeah. And I want to see it. Yeah, and I'm not. I pre- re- in fact, Robert, that was your great line a couple of weeks ago. Now you're damn curious to see it because it's getting all these horrid reviews. Yeah, I think that the only thing they can do right now is lean into it and just be like, <laughs> lean into it. <laughs> the worst that. movie ever made. You know, like Ishtar was well, nothing. Okay. I saw the musical in London, and I love the music. I really love the music. I was listening to the CD coming over here. That's why I got lost. Oh. And so um, when I heard it's going to be a film, it did feel misguided to me. Obviously, with the idea of cats. It could work in a theater and a stage play for some reason, but seeing it literally on stage with these human beings with cat hair, all of them, is fucking weird. Well, you know what I told my friend? My friend and I were talking about it coming out of Uncut Gems. Uh, Casey Young, who's a secret uh, movie club member, and a secret movie. Not club anymore. He's not a secret movie club member. All right. <laughs> he, uh, but he, he. We should start a club called the Public Movie Club. <laughs> The the good competition's good. Keep me on my toes. Uh, the and then we'll have like all of our screenings are outdoors <laughs> and, then we'll, and free. And then I'd like us to have like like summer camp games like meatballs <laughs> where we have to like go against each other. Yeah. It's like those damn. But he, you know, he and I, I I was an actor as a kid in like community theater, but theater. And so you do if you you've been in theater, you do have this thinking about what's theater and what's film. And Casey and I had the same reaction immediately. We're like, Cats works as a play, absolutely, because the artifice is totally acknowledged, and people are in suits, right? And it's episodic, and you're just listening to song and dance on stage. I think the mistake I feel now I haven't seen it. I don't want to prejudge it, but if I was doing it, I would have been like, no CGI. It's got to be suits. You've got to acknowledge the artifice of what this is. And it feels like they tried to make it like magically real or something. Here it comes. Very simple. Uh, Forgive this tangent. but I I love that all three of us are talking about a movie none of us (laughs) have seen. seen. (laughs) Not one of us has seen. In the stage play Cats, you're seeing the performers, and we all know they're not really cats, but they're dancing and and moving as if a cat. Right. But in the film, it makes a literal leap. Where you're act- that's it. That's the that's mistake. That's exactly what you the were saying. The mistake is the literalism. And that's, that, that's, the, that's the spiraling down of that film. And that the it decision, little, whoever yeah, made that absolutely. decision, the yeah. decision had to be like, yes. this is artifice. Or the movie could have worked as an animation, I think. Which my friend Casey was telling me, Steven Spielberg, was attached for a while as a producer director, and he wanted to do it as a cell 2D animation. I think it totally would have worked. Yeah. See, I think that kind of thing. That's probably why it got greenlit. Was Spielberg was attached? You said Spielberg it, at some point. Yeah. In some. So Spielberg was going to do this. Spielberg was going to do this. Spielberg. And that that little hubbub starts to 
infiltrate the it permeates the idea of cats and so when it gets handed to somebody else it was like spielberg thought it was a good idea oh i can't do it his way but i could do it my way and then it just doesn't die because somebody with reputation was attached at one point you know what i mean i think that's part of how it gets greenlit and people just go yeah fuck it make cats yeah what's the word gestalt 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 that's part of the uh uh yeah what you're saying and yeah i mean and again the director he did les miserables and which yeah, he, yeah, he it was a quite gr- a movie. He's got a, what's her, Anne Hathaway won the Oscar for that, so he's really an established director. And it, then, as you say, of musicals as well. Yeah, but yeah. but the, but the thing with Les Misérables, not to beat a dead horse, but you can lean into the reality of it because you're recreating a historical moment. Right, right. right. There's nothing historical right. about cats. No, no. <laughs> what about no. the cra- great cat exodus of uh, 1984? All right, I'm okay. going to tell movies right. I've what seen. What did you see, Rob? I've seen a bunch. It's been a few weeks. I'm going to zip through some of these. Uh, I watched Over the Top. Yeah. The, sh- the Stallone. Stallone movie. How was that? It's not as bad as Wait, I remember. arm wrestling? Oh, yeah, buddy. That's the arm wrestling movie. Yeah. Father, father, sons. Yeah. And he's uh, a truck driver, too, right? And you know, if you... D- Craig. Yeah. You need to do a series of <laughs> father figures, like, picking up their sons. Road trips with the son, because... That movie and did you ever see Dutch with Ed O'Neill? No, but I know of it. Man, that would make a great double feature right there. I'm telling you, over the top and Dutch. That's a good one. Uh, I watched The Muse, Ira. You gave me The mm. Muse uh, with Sharon Stone and uh, Albert um, Brooks. Albert Brooks. I got him that for Christmas. Yeah, watch that. That holds up really. Does well. it hold That's up? That's a great well? movie, yeah. man. It made me laugh really hard. Paths of Glory I watched. Um, my wife hadn't seen it, so we watched that. I went to see Knives Out, but the movie I want to talk How about most. Out? Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. It did what it's supposed to do. Not bad. The movie I want to talk about is a movie from 1988, which I'm not sure if any, either one of you have seen or heard about, but man, it's good. And it's actually way better than I remember it being. Pin. Have you seen Pin? P-I-N. P-I-N? P-I-N. Pin. No. Okay. Here's This sounds like a ridiculous premise. It's kind of a thriller, almost horror film, but it's really cool. So... The theory, or the, the the story, centers around this brother and sister whose dad is a doctor, and he's kind of cold, but he loves them. He really cares about them, and he has a medical dummy that he keeps in his medical office, and he uses ventriloquism to teach the kids about the birds and the bees and all this other stuff. And as they get older, the brother grows up believing that Pin, which is the dummy, uh, short for Pinocchio, is real, and his Sister, of course, grows out of it and is like, it's not real. It's a, it's a dummy. And eventually, it starts to lead to problems within the household. And the parents die in a car accident. And now the brother and sister are left alone in the house because they're kind of teenagers. And they're, they're just starting to become of age where they're kind of getting out of the house. And the brother becomes more and more obsessed with this, this mannequin. And it's fucking weird. It's so trippy. Did you and say it's, it's British? It's not. It's American. American, huh? And uh, did you ever see Lost? Did, I don't know if you guys ever saw the TV show Lost. Sure. No. Yeah. Uh, the, do you remember Locke? I think was his name. The guy, the bald guy, the older guy. He is the father in this movie, oh. and it's really good. It's actually a pretty good little little film. But um, I'm, I wanted to talk about it with you guys because I I feel like no one has seen this movie. Pin. Pin. P I N. I've got it. I'll, I'll loan it to you. But it's uh, it's worth checking out if you if you want a cool weird one. But when you're done, you'll go, 
<laughs> that was that was you can't unwatch it. It's one of those kind of films uh, uh, that you you're kind of like that was just weird. <laughs> My wife watched it with the, she said, uh, "I don't need to see that for another ten years. I got it. I got it. no no problem." I'm surprised she's willing to see it in ten years from now. Well, I said, you know, when when our daughter grows up, she'll be like ten or eleven. That's the perfect age to like <laughs> scar her mentally. So I said that'd be great. Watch it for Halloween in a decade. Are you gonna get a mannequin? I should. I should start practicing my ventriloquism right now. Uh, something else. The guy who does the voice for the mannequin yeah. is uh, the is uh, f- the guy from Breaking Bad uh, and Better Call Saul. Not Bob Odenkirk, but the other. What's the guy? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Mike, the guy, the actor who plays Mike, Jonathan Banks. So he does the voice of Pin. It's really a very strange cast. It's cool. Check it out. Okay. Pin. All right. Hey man, let's talk about uncut gems. And Robert. Talk us through it. Okay, Uncut Gem centers around Adam's ca- Adam Sandler's character, uh, who is what's his name? I got it right here. Howard. I got it right here. Howard. Howard. How- Howard. Howard Ratner. And uh, Howard Ratner is a kind of ne'er do well, I guess. <laughs> that's a good uh, maybe that's an understatement. But he is a he. He seems to owe everyone in New York money, <laughs> and he. This is kind of maybe a week in the life, a long weekend or something like that, in uh, in the life of. Howard Ratner, as he's trying to hustle and get money, he's a, um, a, jewel, a jewelry store owner in uh, New York City, and he is uh, has purchased a large black opal, which he's going to be selling at auction, and he's trying to do a bunch of different uh, jewelry deals with uh, with a bunch of different people and trying to raise a family and have a woman on the side. How, how else? Do you, how do you describe this movie? There's so much chaos going on. Uh, but as well, he's trying to sell jewelry to Kevin Garnett from the uh, from the Celtics. All right, what do you guys think about this movie? <laughs> you, you know, so I just saw it, um, and the so the the short of it is that just recently too, um, in September, I think I had never seen a Softy Brothers movie, and th- these these directors are really being talked about these days. So I haven't I, seen any. You know, I want. Can I just? Yeah. I never heard of them. I never heard of these two brothers, and I'm surprised that Robert. I don't think you heard of it. even my friend Eric, who's a film uh, professor, never heard of them either. And what was the movie they did a couple years ago? Which Good is time. And I hear that's quite similar in it content and tone to what we saw. It, but but go ahead. Yeah. Well, so yeah, and they did a movie um, I think called Heaven Only Knows, and then a movie called Daddy Long Legs, which I haven't seen those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're definitely those kinds of directors, as I understand it, who made a micro budget movie, made a slightly bigger movie. Good time, I think, really sort of launched them, and then uncut gems is, and and so anyway, the big long, breakthrough. Yeah, the, the long story short, I saw Good Time uh, in September, and for fifty minutes, I wanted to hit it off, uh, and I'm almost never like that, but I was like, ah, I, I don't want to finish this, I don't, and then, but I, I I hate not finishing a movie, so I, I I stuck with it, and then the second half I really liked, and the the weird thing about it is that Robert Pattinson's great, uh, the energy of the movie is great. But the character is such a all he does is mess up everybody's lives. That that's in and, and the, the the thing that's interesting is that he's trying to save his brother, he and his brother like and he's trying to do it, but you can tell he's not super bright. He's a criminal, they try to rob a bank. And the whole movie is is he gonna get caught or not? Mm-hmm. And you just watch him go episode to episode ruining people's lives. And so you're just like, I don't care about this guy. I just like I know what's going to happen. He's just going to mess up everybody's lives, and it's just all not going to end well. And but I stuck with it. And the funny thing is, after it, <clears throat> it was a movie I enjoyed thinking about. 
And it, it grew with me as I thought about it. And I thought, you know, I really loved how they didn't shoot in Manhattan. I really loved For Good Time. It was all in the boroughs. Mm -hmm. I really loved that it was showing a part of New York you don't see. I really loved that it's like 24 jittery hours and yada, yada. So, so in the end, I did enjoy that movie, but I do think it had problems for me. Other people know, but for me, it had problems. Good, uh, Uncut Gems, I enjoyed from start to finish. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I love the energy of it. I, I loved, you know, and, and we can get into this, but as, as someone who has a Jewish father and a Catholic mother, they're like little throwaway jokes, like when his mistress gets a tattoo right. and he's like, we can never be buried together. I remind you about that line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and when they're finding the offy comb and it passes, like, and I, what I, what I thought was interesting about this one was, and, and I want to credit my friend Casey Young, who said it, and so this was his observation. I was like, you're right. In good time, he is messing everybody else's life up, and it's very hard to sympathize or empathize with him. In Uncut Gems, he's basically just hurting himself, and even though you get, like his wife is already out the door, they're going to get divorced. The kids are already the, emotionally the, removed. The kids are already emotionally removed. So you're watching a self-destructive personality right. who either is going to get away with something or not, but but the damage he's doing is mostly to himself. And so you can be with him. And I guess the end of my thoughts, and I want to hear, is that I thought it was such a tightrope walk to have a character who in so many ways is unlikable. Um, in, in, you mm -hmm. know, in, in so many ways, like, is so self-destructive. But you want to see if he, if he pulls if it he off. If he does it, yeah. If he does it. And so there, there's... So I totally enjoyed it. The only thing I said to Casey at the end was I said, look, there's a lot I'm going to chew over here. I love the filmmaking. I love that there was something about being self-destructive, which I think is a totally worthwhile theme. We're all impulsive to some, you know, the, 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 we, we all can be self-destructive. And yet I don't know if on repeated viewings the movie is going to be deeper than what it was the oh, first time I saw point. it. I think you're absolutely that's right. That's such a good point because often we say, is this a movie you'd want to see, is this a movie you'd want to see again? I don't know. I don't know if I... I loved it. I loved the film. I did, I too. I think we all did. Yeah. I don't know if I put this in the category. I don't know if I want to see, see it, again. it again. Even in five years, I don't it know. It might ruin some of it. Yeah. I think yeah. Um, I think that's very astute, what you just said about, about that. I think also you touched on something. I think... Okay, so when we watched the film, Ira and I watched it together, and we walked out of the theater, and everyone was... Because Ira and I usually don't talk about films before the podcast, right? We made that kind of a rule, but it was very hard not to in this situation. And we watched it with some other people and we definitely wanted to hear what they had to say. And then strangers came up to us and started talking because they wanted to talk to someone about the film they'd just seen as well. So there were all of a sudden there were these pockets of people that, that were just, they had to talk about the film. And, and isn't I, that the ultimate compliment? It really is. Because most films, you just kind of let them wash over right. you. I mean, we talked about The Good Liar recently, and we neither one of us can remember what that movie's about. We saw it, and two or three days later, we were like, I don't know, something, We've had a running stick about The Good Liar. Now it's down to 1%, by the way, of, of, of the retention. What do you remember from that movie? It just kind of washed through us. This movie has lasting power. Yes. There's images and stuff and the tone and the feel of this film that's going to stay with me for a long, long time. The same thing with Richard Jewell. Remember mm -hmm. that I felt a lot of that movie is sticks. Does it stick to you? And this movie sticks I think, you know, we, we watched it with producer Joey. Producer Joey's a really good person, and she hated the movie because she doesn't like watching those kind of bad people, you know, right. like the people that, that affect others in that way. 
And I think she was just trying to hide the whole time. She was watching it. She was squirming. I'm like, this makes me feel really uncomfortable. And I can understand that. But I was glued. I was like, man, this is really interesting to watch somebody who's on this um, this like downward spiral. You know, it kind of reminded me. It reminded me of a few films. It reminded me of Blue Jasmine in a way. The kind of downward spiral of that character. Absolutely. It really reminded me of. 30 love. <laughs> no, thank you very much. But no, you were gonna say that? I wasn't going to say that. Oh, oh I was going to say dragged across concrete. Yes. Uh, because the mm. tension just starts to ratchet and ratchet and ratchet and gets tighter and tight. Have you seen dragged across concrete? I've not. It's it just it, by the end, you're you're, you're like vice. Yes. You're in a vice is getting tighter and tighter. That's, That's exactly Mel it. Gibson, Vince Vaughn. Yes. And this movie had that same kind of feel like by the end, you're like, come on, man. Like it's. Your pussy's wet. You want to get laid. You're like, come on. And that's the whole time in Dragged Across Concrete. It just starts with a little foreplay and it just builds and builds and builds. And by the end, you keep thinking it's almost over. And you're like, oh, no, there's way more to go here. And there's they just keep going and going. And you're like, how does this keep getting more and more tense? And I felt like that's what was happening in Uncut Gems a lot. The movie, Robert and I have often said with a number of films throughout the last few years that we like it when movies breathe, when they take their time. Right. This movie didn't breathe. And good time it, is the same way. It Does didn't it? breathe. Okay. And you yeah. had a great quip on that when I mentioned it. I said, the audience didn't breathe either. Yeah, we didn't no, breathe. We didn't breathe. We didn't breathe. It was re- obviously the word relentless is almost understating this film. But it was it was so riveting. And um, which I'm wondering if that could possibly be, and again, we all liked it, a criticism of the film that Adams, can you make the argument that it was a one note performance? Uh, I think I, you could definitely make that uh, argument it's, uh, that it's a one note performance throughout. He's great at it. He's great at it, but it didn't, the movie need to breathe a little bit and then they could ratchet it back up again. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And it, 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 it so, you know, it, yeah, I want to just restate what you guys are saying. I think, I think it's a dynamite film. Yeah. It was a ton of fun to watch. I, I think his character, it's always funny when, I'm always amazed when people are able to take anti-heroes and make them really compelling. And and the thing that I thought was admirable about Howard was that in a way he was just go for broke for what he was going to do. Yeah. And there's something that's the the characteristic you respond to, which is that you know, and there's something he does later on. I don't know how. How are we on spoilers? We on do, the it. Show? do it. Do it. Go for it. He well, got shot in the head. The end. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> there. I spoiled I, it. The the well, the thing is that there's a moment in the late in the movie where all of his self destructiveness, everything he's done, he actually has an out. Uh, there's a moment where. Um, he, the Garnett buys the Opal at the end. He's got the 175. And even if that's not going to dig him totally out of the hole, it's going to maybe, you know, maybe a person can be like, I can get off the train here. And this is late in the movie. And it really sets up the great last 10 minutes of the film. Right. Um, but then he's like, I'm going to put another bet, you know, and you just sit there. And, and to me, what I enjoyed about that is there's something great about Greek tragedy where, you know, you have a fatal flaw and Howard's fatal flaw is whatever. And this is, I don't know if it's you guys addiction. Want to say, he's an addict, it, an addict to gambling thing. Gambling. And the thing that I thought about was, you know, now, now 
I probably have that in terms of I'm a filmmaker. I'm opening up this club. Like I'm, I'm like <laughs> I'm in a profession that is not a profession known for stability or what what have you. But I have never had a taste for gambling, and I've never understood people who can take their life savings or take all the money that's supposed to go to their family and put it on a game. But I don't judge it. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, there's no judgment when I say that. I just don't understand that psychology. I, I, you know what? I, I'm interrupting. Yeah, I don't please. even like Vegas. I don't like gambling at all. And I realized years ago that when I was on the roulette, even when I win double or nothing, I made another $20. I don't feel it doesn't do anything to me. Right. I, I don't. Made, neither I do I. I made $20. Uh, so what's what's you're clearly not playing with enough money (laughs) (laughs) but the process doesn't do anything for me even when i win and i I get nothing out of it. i heard norm mcdonald if you ever want to hear a great uh, norm i think a lot of people talked about this but norm mcdonald uh, was on mark maron's wtf podcast years ago Mm -hmm. and and they bring up i didn't i didn't know this about norm mcdonald he's a gambling addict he's gambling addict really and Mark Marin's kind of did the same thing you and I are doing, which is like, you know, hey, I just don't get it, but could you explain it a little? And Norm MacDonald gave this really sincere, fascinating answer where he said, when you have $500,000 riding on a game, you are never more present and alive than the two hours of that game because everything rides on what's happening in that game. And you're not in your head. You're not in the future. You're not in the past. You are right there and you are alive for two hours. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that's, that I get that, but when he explained that, I was like, the juice must be that like you plugged yourself into a live wire electrical socket and if you lose, you're dead. Intellectually, I understand that argument. We even see that in the film a little bit because, I mean, Adam Sandler goes nuts at one point. So he makes a big bet in the, I guess, the third act, like late third act. I don't even know if there are acts in this movie because... No, there are. That that, that whole sequence in the jewel shop at the end is like the third act. So in that last scene, the the big last act, I guess, he, when when Kevin Durant uh, gets the tip off, he goes nuts and he's like, yeah, all right, we needed that. That was the first, and you can see that release of emotion. I think that's exactly what you're talking about, what Norm MacDonald's talking about, that being alive in the moment. And he knows that his life depends on it this time. And he thinks that he's going to get out of all of this like he's going to come out the hero. He's going to say, I've, I have done everything that I need to do. I've made everybody happy. I've solved all my problems, all with this one bet. So I think it's not just a matter of money, but it's his entire life is riding on this game. So you're absolutely right. It's being, it's being present. We see that, that wave of, what do you call that? That like energy just coming out of him. The, 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 Euphoria, yeah. Well, I, Euphoria. You know, yeah. Thank you. The, yeah. the thing that I think about, because I, t- I, I, I just, it's, it's, it's who I am, and I never put it on anybody else, but um, I am a spiritual guy, and, and I believe in a transcendent level to the universe, and I believe in, in karma and things like that. So my filter watching the film was that, that all the important things, you know, they even do it early on. His kid can't get to sleep. And instead of being with his kid, he's just watching the game. If you remember that, mm-hmm. like with a headphone, like he has a wife, he has a family. He probably has a business that if he didn't F around, like could, could, you know, support him. He, he could, you know, he, he's a Jew, which, which, you know, I'm, I'm half Jewish and you see them, they, they do Passover. He has this rich tradition. I mean, he, he could be living a life 
that potentially could be now and again and I'm not saying that this is everyone's value system it's not for sure but I watched the movie and I watched him repeatedly reject what could be very worthwhile in mm-hmm. life and even and the thing that really got to me was that he only made decisions based on his sense that he was down so like he doesn't care about his wife and then you know, or he does kind of but like he's he's okay divorcing her as long as he's with his hot mistress but the moment that that mistress, it looks like she's messing around with the weekend, right, right. which I love that scene. He goes to his wife and he's like, I want to give it another shot. And then suddenly he's been, then his wife says, I don't want you in like, right. I'm done. Right. Then he's back. So you can see he, he doesn't, he, there's no. It's opportunistic. It's, that's it. You know, there's no anchor to him. Yeah. Something I was wondering, and I, I feel like I know the answer to what I'm about to propose to you guys, that is this a story about a man who makes bad choices or where bad circumstances happen to him. And I think primarily it's bad choices. Totally bad bad choices. choices, But to an extent, it was also about bad circumstances occurring. But what circumstances happened to him that he didn't choose? Well, when the guy, when the ball player didn't return the rock. When Kevin Garnett takes, when he takes. supposed to return. But he loaned it to him and he knew, and you could tell the way that it was shot. He was thinking about. Garnett is not going to give this back. I know, but the, he told Adam Sandler's character that he would give it back the next day. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm saying Lakey that Stanfield. he got fucked over a little bit. But I agree with you that it's about a man who makes horrible choices in life. But that's what but, I'm saying about karma, which is that... Sorry, keep going. No, yeah, that's all. What were we going to say? Well, just the... And and listen, I you know, and I'm Irish Catholic too, so like this is, <laughs> this is all like your head, is that, you know... There's there's these strains in literature and cinema about free will and determinism and the notion of character is destiny. So the idea, and I think about this constantly, which is who we are, is it so baked into the cake that in a crisis moment, we don't have the free will to make the other decision? That That who we are is so baked... We will always make the same decision over and over and over again. And if we are a flawed, self-destructive person, even if we intellectually know I should go this way, we make the bad decision. My friend, you're preaching to the choir on that point. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it, the, I or, think... or can you surmount your character in, in a certain moment and make a better decision? Only in the movies. No, I think you can depending on whether or not it's a true decision. Some of these things are not decisions. It's a decision maybe for you because you wouldn't do it the way that I would do it. But where it's a person's true decision, giving Kevin Garnett the, the stone was a decision. You could see him teetering on the fence. Do you know what I mean? And right. I think if you play that scenario out a few other ways, he might say, I just can't, man. I'm sorry. And then just go back in the back room, put it in the safe, and, and it's done with. And it's like, it's not going to happen. He could have gotten out of out of that. That was a decision. But there were other things that, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. Like, is it baked into the cake? But some of the things that, that are foisted on us, some of the situations that are foisted on us aren't really decisions for us. You know, like... The, Absolutely. And, 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 and like everything, I, I would say, I want to be, even though... I, I actually very firmly believe in free will. Mm. Uh, I, and we can go on that road if we want, but, but I, I also acknowledge, I think it's very hard. I mean, my, where I come from, Ira, is I think, like, I have, and this is maybe what was unsettling to me about the movie, I have a semi-self-awareness of my flaws, my impulsiveness, the things that I do that are bad, and that, that lead to bad outcomes. I'm 42 years old, like, I, like I've thought about these things. And yet even at 42, I find myself still making these bad decisions from time to time. B- but I believe- Heroin. 
<laughs> Meth. I got you. I but prostitutes. I, but but I believe it's through bad decisions. You know, constant meditation, constant just I'm gonna work on this bit by bit when the moment comes again, I might actually make a slightly better decision. That's what I believe in free will. It might not, I might never be the best person, but I can make a slightly better decision. Well, it happens more so in movies than it does in the real world. That's for, for sure. sure. That's for sure. And it didn't happen in this movie. It did not happen. that's why I liked well, it. <laughs> do you think that happens more often in movies because that's what the story centers around is here's a character who does not change does not change but let me tell you the story of the time that this character did change which is why you would want to make a story about that no because people like to walk out of a theater getting an emotional wowie zowie they need that and this movie had the balls to not do that mm. we've talked about this well movie. this got an emotional wowie zowie just not the one that you're talking about <laughs> there was an emotional wowie zowie there, here there sure were Hey, can I just open, I want to talk about about the actors and the people who are in this film, and mm -hmm. obviously Adam Sandler, and he was quite good. He's being, the buzz is that he's going to be Oscar nominated. Uh, do, you, do you agree with that? Are you on board? No, I thought that? it was Dynamite. Yeah. Pull that what? mic in front of you. What? What? Like, what am I doing? Yeah, okay, there you go. Oh, that's how's it. that? That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, yeah. good. You're like getting on the side of it over here. Oh, how's that? That's great. Yeah. Uh, all the acting in this thing. And um, by the way, I just, the music, I really liked the music. Oh, it was lot. great. It yeah. had an ethereal vibe to it. You know, and I went back, let me tell you, I went back and watched the trailer and I was watching it today um, and I had it on mute for a minute. And as I was watching it, I was like, this doesn't feel quite the same. And I unmuted it. The music popped in and went, that feels oh. the same. It's the music I think is, is a, definite addition that makes the mood Absolutely. of this film work yeah yeah so all the elements are there the acting and so on. by the way a real small time do you remember john amos when the, when the kid had to go to the bathroom oh, and he yeah. was knocking <laughs> that really was yeah john amos yeah. who was in the sitcom uh uh good what was that called good times yeah that was, and, that was and, very and they funny. said and it really was john amos and i just thought what a detail you wasn't know, he in uh, the beastmaster too was he in the Beastmaster? I think Master? he was. He was in other films. He had yeah. parts in they other movies. They mentioned Coming too. to America. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that was in the film, right? That he was in Coming to America. I just love those little details where they get got people to play themselves in right. this film. I want to say two things about yeah. this thing. First of all, um, okay, the Robert Altman overlapping dialogue. Yeah. I think it was a little excessive in the film. I think they could have done a little less of that because they constantly had everyone overlapping. I do like it like in a club, you go to a, a nightclub, there's a lot of overlapping. Um, uh, dialogue just happens naturally when you go to a club, especially if the weekend is performing. I think there's going to be a lot of people talking and chit chatting. And it's going to be very hard to hear and maybe in a chaotic uh, jewelry store as well. But there's like when they're in the car and they're all yelling at each other, it's just, it's like six people talking and there's only three people in the car. It's like, what's happening here? So I think it's a little too much. I think it was used as a stylistic device instead of uh, an attempt at, at reality. What do you guys think about that? You know what I mean about the Altman, like the kind well, of yeah. Nashville overlapping, or overlapping MASH dialogue. dialogue? I think it goes back to what Ira said, because actually, Ira, I, I would say I agree with you that, and it, that, that one thing for me personally as a filmmaker is I think you do need to let a movie breathe. Um, and I think there's something about contrast just as in music that heightens when things and and there was no breathing moment in this film there really and wasn't. i would i would say the same thing that you're saying is that if there's something i'm aware of with the softy brothers in the two films i've seen 
is they're, they're really committed to a relentless tone yeah. and you become aware of the filmmaking mm. and the, because you know what it is, is things are always breaking. If you'll notice that they're always hitting things, glass is always breaking. They do all these things to always make you jangly and jittery. Uh, and then there's never a moment there. There's never where you, you reset or Adam Sandler has a moment of self-reflection or whatever it would be, or just a two minutes of quiet. Or can, even, I, can I, I want to disagree with you because there is, but your mind fills in these gaps. And I was actually saying this last night to producer Joey, the scene where he grabs the garbage cans mm. and drags them out. That's this, this, there's nothing really happening there, but your mind is putting in, he's going to get shot or somebody's going to come you remember up and that try scene to kidnap him. And this front lawn at night where he's dragging out with two hands, with right. a trash can in each hand. And we or, think something's going to happen so, and nothing happened. It just faded. When, his, when he goes back to the apartment, his mistress has left and he's kind of walking through the dark apartment and he checks the closet. And I'm thinking somebody's going to be there waiting for him because mm. everyone in this whole movie is out to get this guy. And so even the down scenes, the quiet scenes, were anxiety provoking. Yes, because we're almost, filling in. Because we're so filling in the gap. We're filling in the gaps. Yes, that's very interesting. We're filling in the gaps. So all. I'm convinced of that. That's an interesting point. Even when he makes love with the um, the mistress, that too could have been a sweet tender scene. But instead, it was the texting. You know, what are you wearing right, now? Right. And show me. That, that well, you're thinking was, she's going to come in and. And he's watching her, so of course she's going to be talking about him in some other way or yes. with somebody. Yes, and it's playing. Yes. It's what it's yes. doing is it's playing on our film knowledge. Yeah, when he's hiding in the closet, I thought she was going to come in with somebody else. Didn't right, you? I did yes. too. Well, we were yeah, supposed to think that, and we were supposed to think that. They, I was tense. They know what you know yes. and what you yes. expect when you watch these scenes, and they're saying you're expecting this. We're not going to give you that. I thought and, she was going to come in with another lover. And that's the glass breaking. Is it's breaking our. What our expectations our, our of what history we, yes. of other movies. Yes. Yeah. Well, the, the, she was a fascinating character because, you know, toward, I kept expecting for her to fuck him over. And, and she yes. never did. She, she never, never did. did. And she was actually, she, by the she end was of the genuine. movie, by the end of the movie, I was like, I think she really does have feelings Loves for him. him. Yeah. yeah. She took care of him with his messed up face. When the, well, she even took the money and was going to go back. To yes. <laughs> And the guy that comes out with like the the um, whoever the, the guy was that the Mickey Rourke looking yeah, guy. Mickey yeah Mickey Rourke looking guy uh, who gets the money for her and he comes walking out to the limo and for a minute I was like okay so he killed her right there's got to be some sort of payoff yes. with this and it wasn't it took everything you think of in typical movies like this and just said we're gonna make you think this is gonna happen and we're never gonna give I it I fucking to you. love what we're saying right now and again I'm back to that scene where he's texting and he's in the closet hiding gonna surprise his mistress I was so sure that she was gonna walk in with another man it, it was not gonna unfold the way he was hoping it was gonna unfold or she was on the phone so you're she, thinking she, she's gonna say she, something about yes. him she's gonna have some sort of big reveal and it never came I love that I, th I think that's well, brilliant and he, filmmaking. And, and, he, and, and the, the, the other thing that was so fascinating was even with The weekend, which I love that whole sequence because the, the people are really who they are. Yeah, right. yeah. So that was another weird sort Garnett, of Garnett, like, The weekend, Garnett, The weekend, are in the movie and right. they're just part of And they, they're, they're part of the narrative thing. They're not, John Amos. John Amos. <laughs> and, and so that thing is, I guess she's a Coke dealer as well or something. Because they're in the bathroom, and the weekend's clearly doing coke. Yeah, were they uh, a closet or something? Yeah. I don't know what they're in. There's a bathroom. Yeah, 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 yeah. But she keeps saying to him, uh, no touching. No touching. Yeah. And so what was interesting was that when Sandler bangs on the door, 
we get, of course, he thinks she's hooking up with The weekend, but actually we've been told she was not hooking up with The weekend because yeah. she kept saying no touching, no touching. So when they have the fight outside, you understand where Sandler's coming from. But now looking back on it, you're like, even there, she was good point. kind of faithful to him. Kind yeah, of. Kind Although of, well, she's, she did say, I can't believe you're this hard. So oh, I, think that I guess kind she of, did. Oh, yeah, that she, line I was, think she's probably oh, touching that, him that, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But it's definitely it was it was on this weird line of I mean, she, she had been over to a party that she'd had earlier in the movie, right? He'd been over and she was kind of showing photos of him, and then later on he's making moves on her, and she's like, "I told you no touching." So clearly she had like she had not accepted his advances previously. Mm-hmm. So your point is still well made, right? And I like that, these areas of gray instead of black or right. white. That's what I love, the areas of gray for the characters. You know, we, we talked a little bit about Adam Sandler's character and kind of how despicable he is. I just want to point out and highlight that everything that he's feeling, like Garnett taking his um, his opal and not giving it back, he does the exact same thing to everybody else. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been taking people's jewelry and pawning it and hawking it and not giving it back to them. And you could see these people that are like, I need to get this thing back. And he's like, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here, giving them fake Rolexes and everything else. And it's, it's really, it, I almost feel like this is middle class. There's like high class above yeah. him, which he's trying to break into. There's a lower class, which are people that are kind of um, some of the, the kind of schlubby people that come up to him in the middle of the street. And he's like, get out of my hair. This is almost like a cr- criticism of like middle class New York America. Well, there, there's something we haven't even touched on um, that, that I haven't fully processed, but there, there's actually, again, cause I see things this way. There's actually a karmic through line in the movie because the opening scene is at the mine in Africa. Right. And what you see is you see this horrible treatment by these Chinese mine owners <laughs> of these Ethiopian miners. And uh, then you see the stone. Absolutely. And the thing that I thought in the movie was that if you actually think about the film, the person who, who really benefits from the stone is Kevin Garnett. And he has this great game and he feels this connection to the stone and the Celtics are supposed to lose, but they take it, they win. And Garnett comes out on top. But somebody who has probably nickeled and dimed for the stone, which is Adam Sandler, who has paid no heed to how that stone was gotten, who doesn't care at all really about anything that's happened, the stone in the end is a curse for him. Right. And so if you're prone to seeing the movie in that way, from the beginning, you're like, this is a movie about karmic retribution. And that when you don't question, you know, and again, I'm not going to put this on anyone. It's a quick story, but I've never done cocaine. The most I've done is I've ever smoked pot. That's it. And I only did a handful of times because I didn't want to be the guy that never smoked pot. But but I never did cocaine and I never was going to do cocaine. But my older brother said something to me once that was really powerful. And he put his arm around me and and he said, Craig, don't ever do cocaine because there's blood on that drug. There's blood on that drug from South America all the way here. And that I knew what he meant. All these people had died. And so to me, that that consumption of things or that, you know, I'm going to make money on this, but I don't care where this has come from. Or, yeah. Like, I think that was a part of the movie, too. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. By so you do you would do American cocaine yeah. if it was grown in a controlled like lab here in the U.S. I got you. By the way, I got some good shit for you. See me after. The <laughs> Is that it? I've just never done. Good. Um, a, a, a few things. This was, did it have a 70s vibe to it? Yeah, yeah. Totally. This was a character based 
crime drama 70s feel. I think it's the leather jackets. I don't know why, but leather jackets feel very 70s. It was produced by Scorsese, too. Yeah. Yeah, executive produced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Question. This was a period piece. It did not take place now. Why? Why? Garnett. Garnett, yeah. So he he's was not, okay. He, I'm he's not a sports guy. He he's retired yeah. now. He's not playing. Is that the only reason they made it a seventh? Probably. I, probably. Yeah, I heard that they wanted. They only wanted. There were only three people they were going to accept. I that. Kobe, yeah. Yeah. Garnett, and I don't know who the third one was. Imagine if they got Kobe. I had uh, read that they had been talking to a couple other players, and I I wasn't familiar with the other players. Maybe they're. I, I'm not huge in, in NBA. I know Garnett is obviously. I know who Kobe is, but I didn't know. I didn't know who the other players were. There may be another reason, too. Um, I am actually, my I'm Lakers for life. I'm totally NBA. And I think the fact that it go, went to a game seven, uh, if you're a gambler, um, the fact that you're like, the way the story was told was I think he plays a game, like you see it throughout the week. It's mm-hmm. like one to one, two to one, and the Celtics and the Sixers are going back and forth. So on that game seven, that's a that's make or break. Uh, you know that's that's when you win the series. So it adds a level of juice. And they were using real footage from that. Yeah, I know. Series. Right. I know. I so. know. By the way, here's your trivia. You're gonna love this. You're gonna love this. Do you know who's supposed to play the lead before Adam came on board? Jonah Hill. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You wanted to say it. I would take. Well, you asked me. You asked a question. <laughs> How about that? And you know what? Be, I could see that. You know who's supposed to play I before could, Jonah Hill? Adam Sandler. He, they originally offered it Is to that Adam right? He turned Adam it down. Then Jonah, but yeah. I can see Jonah Hill doing this. Yeah, I it, would could be, too. it would be different, a little different, but it would also be good. I could see sure. him pulling off that yeah, part. Sure, sure. Yeah. Did you feel like, uh, in a way, this character was a variation on the Punch Drunk Love character? In a way? I don't know. I, don't, I, I love Punch Drunk I Love. I think that's one of the few times I've seen Adam Sandler, and it's not a one-note movie. He does arc. He does yes. change. It's not one note. And I think that's actually a, a superior film to this. But I think this is a damn good film, and I, I do think it is a little one note. Yes. Um, but it feels like, I, I don't know, a serious version of that character. Yeah, yeah, Punch Drunk Love. Without the kiss. Oh, you. I think you went to the bathroom in that part. There was a big kiss <laughs> with him and the mobster. Punch Drunk Love had a beautiful kiss moment. Anyway, yeah, backlit. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else? What else about that film before we slide into money shots? What else? Mm. Anything else you want to say? Even the um, the lady who played the mother, uh, the, I'm sorry, the wife, the Adina wife, Adina Menzel. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we're talking wicked here. Yeah. She won a Tony. Oh. Yeah. She, she sang. <laughs> let it, yeah. She sang "Let It Go." Frozen. <laughs> she sang "Let It Go." Yeah. Oh. Yeah. How about that? You have a daughter, Robert. You'll be watching. You'll Frozen. be. I love you. Yeah, okay. Um, what I'm going to try to sour her by like playing a bunch of punk records for her by like, showing her pen. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This movie stayed with me. By the way, here's your trivia. Uh, according to IMDb, this is the sixth most amount of fucks in a movie. What's number the number seven. one? Seventh, buddy. Seventh. Oh, is it seven? Yeah. What's oh. number one? I don't. Do you know number There's one? There's a movie called Fuck, and it's about the history of. <laughs> I'm serious. It's called about. It's a documentary about the history of the word fuck. And it says the word fuck. More uh, it's than like over a thousand times. That's very funny. And is yeah. number two Wolf of Wall Street? I think it's that's actually up there. It's uh, two or three. But it's. I, I want that's like a you Scorsese know, I Scarface. movie. I bet Scarface is up there. Yeah, the remake Scarface has to be up there. But I think um, I want to say it's either a Scorsese movie or a, a Tarantino movie that yeah. that gets up yeah, there a lot. That sounds too. right. Number two is like the Parent Trap with Haley Mills, right? <laughs> <laughs> fucking these fucking mom and dad are fucking dumb, yo. Oh man. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk about money shots. Money shots. Who's going to kick this off? 
I'll kick it off. Go. Man, uh, Adam Sandler getting shot in the head. That's going to stay with mm. me, man. Uh, so if you haven't seen the film, uh, there's the ending. What does he think is going to happen at the end? He's locked them right. in this, yeah, in yeah, this yeah. little booth, and he thinks he's going to open the door, and they're just going to come running out and hug him because he's won a million dollars? You got the money, so you're hoping all's forgiven? The only way this works is either to buzz them out the front mm. so they mm. leave or say, empty the bullets out of the gun mm. and, and I will I'll let, let you, you out. out. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Right. Yeah. That's, those are the only two ways this works because I, you're, you're just going to let this guy with a loaded gun into your yeah, shop. He's a dumb Jew, you know, call the police. Yeah. You, you know, know something. I, the, the, but see, that was so I, I know we're, we're going to money shots. Wait, was this movie anti-Semitic? No. No. I don't think so. No. I don't think so. Okay, go ahead. I am sure there is some organization out there who says it is, but I don't think it was. Yeah. No, I I mean, again, I think the movie plays with consciously. So I thought of this, too. You know, he's a jeweler. um, But but I think it, you know, and I don't know how you felt. I wanted to ask you about this. I'm actually glad you brought this up. So in my family, on my dad's side, uh, the Jewish side, the conversations we have about being Jewish and and other people we know who are Jewish are inside and you can be very critical because it's your people right and you can be like why is he this way why is she you know da 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 but you you can't have that conversation with other people or and you wouldn't you know there's that weird thing where everyone's always very protective of their tribe right but within their tribe you can be very critical right and you know the Softy brothers the, I don't know if this is true I want to look it up you'll notice that Adam Sandler had two sons and I just wondered to myself if this was the Softy Brothers making a movie about their dad. Um, I read somewhere that no, it was. I read that it is their father. Yeah. Is the, it? Who was a jeweler. Their he dad was, was a jeweler in yeah. New York. I think okay. it was very so, loosely based on something yes, like that. Yes, I did read that. And so, yeah, so yes. I just, I had this, I didn't know that. Yeah. But I had this very yes. strong feeling that this was a movie about two sons sort of dealing with their dad. Um, but as the filmmakers making it about their dad, so right, that right. and but but I did wonder. I just thought there were all these things in being Jewish in the movie right. that that I thought were very interesting. Right. But I can't really verbalize it. Right. I, don't, I don't know what you thought. I agree completely. Yeah. And again, I don't think it was anti-Semitic, but I can see how some people will make the argument that it is. Yeah, somebody I, will. I totally yeah. didn't think it was anti-Semitic. Yeah. No. So money shots. Okay. Yeah. What else did you have? Was there another? That's one? the big one, man. Yeah. I think you know we talked before about how. The Good Liar, I mean, the only reason why it's even sticking in my brain now is because we've made it such a joke yes, that we've we forgotten have. about it. But other films that we saw even before that, like the aforementioned Dragged Across Concrete, I could I could tell you every scene yeah. in that movie. I was just present the entire time. Yeah. And with this movie, same way. Absolutely. I, I will Absolutely. remember this movie for a while. It, it just sticks with you. ingrained itself in my, it, it branded itself in my brain. Yeah. And it's going to be a long time before I start to forget it. Yeah. So... I, practically the whole movie is that way. Um, definitely passing the money uh, outside the window was a were great money shots. There's a really cool little scene there that they developed and Is and that executed. physically possible? Sure. Is it the two windows side by side? Come out to the window. Let we, me show you. <laughs> it seemed a little bit of a stretch. Ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's possible. I like the shot, but I thought, hmm, this is accurate. Could this really happen? Right. It, you know, anyway. There are funny stories about that. The, the Coens always, uh, or John Goodman tells a story. If you've seen Lebowski, yeah. uh, when they go to do the handoff, yeah. he throws the money out the window and he's like, 
you know, throw the ringer, give me the ringer, dude. And then he's like, and then he bails out of the car with the machine gun. They actually discovered there's no way the arm can do that. Right. And so they actually had to film it in reverse on a wire where the arm grabbed the satchel and went inside. And then they just did it in reverse because they knew it would look great, but they discovered the arm can't do it that way. So That's it's always funny. interesting. Wow. Yeah. Remember Blood Simple, their first film? Oh, yeah. Blood, and there, too, with the hand going out and around the other side of the wall at the end. Remember that? It oh, was, yeah. It was a little bit of a stretch, uh, uh, a little bit of a reach, but you just accept it. You do. Because you invested into the film, so you love it. There's a very funny thing that, that I know we've all talked about in a way where a movie doesn't need to succeed in realism. It needs to succeed in psychological realism. And if real to the world that it's created. Real to the world. And as long as it, it's real to the world it's created, then you can do anything. Like everyone points out in The Shining, and now it's in that documentary, that if you really think about the geography of that hotel, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. Um, but because you've been set up that it's a maze, that it's haunted, that you're going to get lost in there, you, 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 there's no cognitive dissonance. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, when I heard Sid Field, you know, who wrote the oh, book yeah, on screenwriting, sure. yeah. and I heard him speak at a seminar, and he said, I might have said this to you, if you set up Acts 1 and Act 2 really firm and lost, in Act 3, you can... You can push it a little bit and get away with it yeah. and get away with it. As long as you establish it early on, you're allowed to cheat a little bit in the third act. Which may, may be the headshot you guys are talking about. Yeah. Be yeah. Because in, in a, I knew he was not going to get away with it. I don't know about you guys, but I was like, nah. He's, he's, oh, I thought he was going to get shot. I told you that. I had a feeling he got shot. I you think I kind of hoped that he, he wouldn't. wouldn't. I was kind of, I, I, you know there's one of two outcomes, which is either this guy is the hero and he gets away with everything. But because the movie had been subverting my expectations every step of the way, I thought, well, maybe there's a chance here. I mean, I literally remember having that conversation with myself going, how is he going to get out of this? But he's consistently gotten out of previous predicaments. Right. So maybe this guy, maybe this is a slippery fish. I don't know. But I think the fact that it's I, – I knew when it was happening, this movie is playing with my understanding of movies as storytelling yes. devices. It, it knew what yes. I thought, like yes. hiding the, in the closet. The closet with the texting is a perfect – we've dragging, seen that. Dragging the trash cans out yes. to the curb. All of this they're stuff fucking where you're with like you. – They're fucking with yeah. you. The filmmakers are fucking with you. And I I'm like, it. so maybe they're going to fuck with me yeah. again yeah, here. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. How could you possibly say – this is what's going to happen with any sort of a certainty because you don't you don't know. The filmmakers have proven themselves over and over and over right. again that they know what you know. Right. And if they're right. willing to right. spin that, right. how could you possibly know what they're going to do? Yeah. I mean, we just got through talking about how she actually seemed to love this guy. Isn't that something? Well, okay. That's she did. Strange. Yeah. So what's your money shot, Craig? You know, you've been asking, and I've been thinking about it. You know, it's funny. It's it, it's a weird little thing, but when he goes to the musical of his daughter, and it's not actually the one you would think of. Even, yeah, it's not the money, the coming, money out coming out of her, out of her mouth. Uh, even <laughs> though that's great. Uh, I think that's a metaphor. Yeah, totally. For oh, Jew, really? <laughs> Jews and money. Yeah, no, it was clearly. That was anti-Semitic. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, it was clearly a Jewish folktale. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was that when he sees the guys... And then he goes in the hallway and he bites them and he runs. Yes. There was this weird thing. So I'm, I'm a firm believer that movies really operate in the world of dreams. And, and I can't fully explain it. But I, I, I tend to think that our greatest directors are probably vivid dreamers because they put you in a dream state. Mo movies don't 
they, they exist in some kind of dream state that's deeper than realism. So to me, th- him running through the high school and running backstage and telling the girl like, oh, we're all cheering for you guys look great. And then he gets out. There was something that was so metaphoric about the whole movie to me that he's just running through this situation where everyone's like, what is he doing? And he seems like, but then he gets caught, but then they just strip his clothes. That to me was something that resonated as like microcosmically metaphoric for that character, for Howard. That's really, I I like that. As you're speaking, I I was thinking, do you know, I think I've talked about it before on this podcast, they did a 24-hour Psycho where someone took the film Psycho and optically printed it so that the whole film would last 24 hours. So you just, you watch each frame for, you know, a minute and a half and then another frame for a minute and a half. I think Uncut Gems needs a 24-hour version where you just watch, because there's so much going on and I'd like to see some of these shots for a little bit and just see how the tension is built through the cutting. The editing in this was really superb when you think about it. And it was all these tight shots oh, it's almost all telephoto lenses yeah these like r- a lot of bokeh in the background just really tight shots on people's faces long lenses and and it just added to the claustrophobic nature of the whole thing and yet at the same time you knew where you were mm-hmm. you know you never felt like you like where am i right now and what part of the right. the room am i and that's a real testament that's a right. that takes a skilled director uh, to be able they're, to pull they're off. dynamite filmmaker the staging was really nice so yeah Ira, what about you? A couple you? of money shots, real fast. For me, this is, mine are a little bit unique here. The, the, the opening sequence, but not the prologue in Africa, in New York, and where we have the opening titles. And there was something about setting up the tone, the grittiness, the anxiety, just kicked right at the very beginning when they were in New York City. There was just a vibe that was just sucking me in. Um, I know I'm being a little bit vague, but I just got a, a handle on that opening and the way it was shot and seeing all the craziness and mounting the anxiety from the get-go. Um, also, I liked, and this isn't really a money shot either because it's throughout the whole movie, Adam Sandler's face. Hmm. Adam Sandler's face. With Not the, a specific the fake moment. Teeth. Yes, those were fake, those were fake teeth. Yeah, I, they were fake teeth. But there's something about the glasses and his mouth and that mustache. And I think he's got so, earrings too. Yeah. Yes, yes, he did. The diamond earrings. And again, I'm sort of cheating on Money Shot because there's not one specific moment in the film. It's throughout the whole film. It's his face that's going to stay with me. Wait a minute. Did he start wearing Garnett's earrings? I, I wonder because, I mean, he clearly had to have had pierced earrings before, pierced ears before, but did. I don't remember him wearing earrings in the beginning, but I definitely remember seeing them halfway through. I wonder if those were Garnett's earrings. <laughs> Huh? Because you know he says keep them. That's very funny. That'd be a cool little little yeah, Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. Now I want to go back and see the film. All right. Uh, anything else, Sarah? No. That's there were other things too. The first time, let me just say this, and I'll be done with this. The first time that they're trapped in the double door, the security door, getting into the, the first time, which paid off at the end, of course. But the anxiety about I've got it, I want to give it back to you. The the rock, the opal. Yet he couldn't open the door, and the the whole thing with putting what was it, the wrench or the screwdriver? That whole sequence was very just like the whole movie was so fucking anxiety provoking. Yeah. And these were highlights for me. Yeah. Okay. Is this movie anti-wave? Does Woo! this movie buck your typical Hollywood trends? <laughs> what do you think, Ira? Uh, reasons for yes. We're going to yes first, okay. right? Okay. Why is this an anti-wave? Are uh, you yeah, ready? Yeah. All right. Our main character, our protagonist, if you will, is a gambler, addicted, an ad- addicted to that. He's a cheater. He's cheating on his wife. He dies at the end. Mm-hmm. 
yet we still care about him, which is a fascinating question. Totally. Is that we do care about Some him. people care about him. I think it, it divides the audience, actually. I mean, we you had told me before that some people were nauseated at this film. And I wonder if like that tension really starts to become yeah. part of the alienation that some audience members are having towards that character. I, I, I know what you're saying, but I would say that that's... I mean, that's kind of more to your point. I think a... Hollywood film would make sure, you know, you save the kitten, right? At some point, the, your hero has to do something redeeming, right, right. saving a, a kitten or something like that, and there's no saving the kitten. Does he do anything redeeming in this movie? Uh, nothing's coming to quiet. mind. The fact we all got quiet for a couple seconds is very telling. Yeah. No. Does he do anything redeeming? Wait, let's just think for a second. This is a great pod. Let's all be silent. No, let's all be quiet. Let's be, no, I, those are anti-wave. Uh, who he is, yet we, and again, even the directors are quite, up until now, quite underground-ish and only sure. known. About, that, too, is an anti-wave feel. So there you go with it being an anti-wave. Can you have anything to add about I would why? Add, I think the way that it's shot, yeah, overlapping yeah. and unclear dialogue, there's a lot of lines that are lost because of the overlapping dialogue. Um, I think I would also add the I I know what you're saying about the the whole last section being a third act, and and maybe there is, but I don't really know where the first and second act start and divide. It you it, might, it almost felt like a film in two parts, you know, like it's that was tough for me because at the beginning it's set up, you know, like the whole you could take the whole Garnett thing and the people after him thing and then go straight to the gambling at the end and cut out the entire middle and the film would still work. Mm. So I don't know that the, is the second act all even needed, but I don't know if you would call that a second act or not. Go ahead. I'll cut you off. What were you going to say? No, the, I think it's always interesting to me. Talking about movies in three acts is, is helpful, uh, but I've never actually fully understood it, uh, frankly, and, and I'm a writer, and, and I, I think people who are probably great writers totally get it, but you know, Shakespeare wrote in five acts, mm-hmm. and and. So I think it's a bit of an arbitrary designation. And I would definitely say that I think Uncut Gems minimum is four acts, actually. I think the end of the third act is actually when Garnett buys the stone. I think that wraps that story up. Right. The fourth act is his decision to make a bet. Yeah. And I think that yeah. that's what it felt like to me. This doesn't feel like a typical three-act structure where you can almost set your watch by like what right. time it's going right. to happen. Right. Even, right. You know? Point on page 18. Yeah, and exactly. All that. Right. 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 So those are all the reasons why I would say it's anti-wave. Craig, do you have anything else you would add as to reason why it's not your typical Hollywood film? Why is it anti-wave? Well, you know, I, I, I don't know that I see it as anti-wave or, or a Hollywood film. I think that, you know, I, what you were saying earlier I almost felt it subverted expectations so that they could shoot Howard in the head. Mm-hmm. So to me, if if every if, if she had walked in with a boyfriend, if uh, other things had happened the way you thought, you'd be like, of course he's going to get shot in the head. But I think what they were doing was because they knew he had to be shot in the head, they did all these things throughout so that they could buy themselves that moment. And this is not a criticism. I should... I, it's not. I, I enjoyed the movie thoroughly, but I always knew he wasn't going to get out of it. Mm. So it just, it was no, I was just like, something's going to happen. I don't know what it is, but just, and then he got shot in the head. And I actually, in a Hollywood way, I was like, ah, I knew that was what was going to happen. I did, I was not surprised. Well, that segues nicely into why is it not an anti wave film? 
And I would say because this is a bad character and he dies, he dies at the end, which makes it not makes it a Hollywood film. Well, more so anyway. Right. Let's just say less anti-wave. Less anti-wave. Okay, yeah. But yeah. now here's the, here's where I'm going to be totally contrary. <laughs> I love it. I, I, yeah, I, I heard. It's okay. We'll go back and copy and paste. We'll copy out what you say here and put it <laughs> earlier. And we'll copy <laughs> that there and paste it later. The, the, I actually found Howard, and this is where I give Sandler and the writers and the directors real kudos. I, 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 was, I sympathized with him. I, yeah, I, I, I think he made bad life choices. I think he was somebody who was given to impulse. I think he was somebody whose addiction... Uh, was ruining his life, uh, but it's where he got his juice. But I found him to be very human. I didn't find him like at his core, he's not evil. That's right. That's it. That's yeah. it. At his core, he's not an evil person. He's not. And yeah. so when he's he, just selfish and he's addicted, I yeah, think that's yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't have self control. Yeah. And and so in a weird way, that's very human, and that that endears right. us to other people because we all. So I found him very endearing, even if he was frustrating. And what I thought was interesting was those two thugs, uh, the henchmen for his brother-in-law. You know, you, you could see that they they were from a different world. You know, like, it was even interesting, the Eric Bogosian character, yeah. at a certain point, was in over his head. Like, he wanted right. money from his brother-in-law, but he couldn't control these guys. Those guys did not care about... And I think, you know, saying, showing that, that he wasn't a bad character, you need worse characters to kind of you needed those balance kids, totally. things. And I think that's that's really the role that they had. And even some of the other people that he was working with, some of the other um, other jewelers, some of the Garnett's people kind of felt a little like, you're a little worse than our guy here. And I, like I said before, I think the parallels between what, what he's doing to other people is kind of there. He's he's a shithead to others. No, totally. Yeah. yeah, he sold that one dude's like uh, Michael Jackson on the cross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So is this? Is, uh, how is it? Is it antiwave? No. So here's what we do, Craig. On a scale from one to ten, five is kind of the, the midpoint. So if you go less than five, you're saying this is not an anti-wave film. If you go uh, more than five, you're saying it is more anti-wave. So how anti-wave would you say this film is? So zero would be a typical Hollywood film. Oh, 10 it. would be a an absolute anti-wave. I give it a six. A six? Oh. oh. What do you think? Did we really address how it's not anti-wave? We sort of did in a broad way, I guess. Yeah, I just I want to so. say, well, had Adam Sandler. Mm. There's that old argument again. Mm. Well, yeah, but... And that's a not comedic a actor doesn't necessarily mean it's not an end. Okay, man, I'm going higher than you. I, I am really too. am. I'm I'm going. I'm hovering at nine point seven. Mm-hmm. Nine point three. I'm I'd going say to about nine, point a nine. Nine. Yeah. No, this was anyway. I feel like it was. I feel like it's trying to. I think. I think the fact that it's playing off of notes that we've seen before. Um, you know, shooting like again from the closet. His POV of her coming in and texting and playing with her and she's getting ready and that scene doesn't play out the way that we think it would play out in a hollywood movie i think that has that makes it anti-wave in my mind it makes it much more anti-wave than than a typical hollywood film and especially because of our protagonist and who he is and his moral character his moral fiber that's pure anti-wave stuff so yeah all right ira yes sir who died this week ah you're saying gotta tell you unfortunately must the following people they done turned to dust come on what do you think of that one huh it rhymed 
We lost the following people last, actually last 14 days. William Higgins, you guys, a 74-year-old American gay pornographic film director. He made a movie called Big Guns. That was your hero. Yeah, I was going to say I really was a fan of his work. Let's move on to Tony Britton, 95-year-old British actor. He was in Sunday Bloody Sunday and also The Day of the Jackal, the first one. Not the remake, but the first one, the good one. We lost David Foster, 90-year-old American film producer. Wow. This guy produced The Sting, Short Circuit, uh, The Thing. Did I say Sting? Thing, Short Circuit, and The Getaway. Now, Jerry Herman was, of course, he was known for a composer on Broadway. But However, his plays were made into movies. Mm. Hello, Dolly, and uh, Mame, and so on. And uh, he died at 88. Sid Mead, 86-year-old American concept artist. This guy designed i read up a lot on him he he made models of the future his stuff was used oh, in wow. blade runner aliens and tron isn't that interesting so um 86 year old yeah american concept artist so he's we working with uh what's his name geiger Ge oh um, yeah geiger was the other one with the yeah. designing the alien 98 year old uh british scottish actress elizabeth sellers she was in 55 days in peking uh, at peking uh, the barefoot contessa and we also lost martin west 82 year old american actor who was in assault on Pre precinct 13 mm. and did tv as well now i want to say for the corners i'm going to mention here first my first cor corners corner choice was sue lyon did she die this week? Yes. You didn't know this? No. She was the original Lolita, the original one, the Kubrick movie. And uh, she's 73 years old, American actress. She was in other films, too. Did they bury and, her with sunglasses? <laughs> and a lollipop in her mouth. And uh, she was in an, also Night of the Iguana in a movie called Seven Women and Tony Rome, which I saw. But, of course, she was known within Kubrick's um, uh, Nymphette. Wow. And I've got to tell you this. When I went to Santa Monica City College in 1966... She sat next to me. She was a student. In really? fact, there was a big article about her in the school paper, Sue Lyon. And after she was, Lolita. It, yes, it was after oh, wow. Lolita, which was in the early 60s. And there she was on the front of our school paper, a picture of Sue. And she was my biology partner. She sat next to me. And this is like Lolita. And I didn't know. I wanted, like, I wanted to say I really liked you and Lolita. And it was so awkward for me that uh, at that period of my life where I wasn't I was a little bit shy and a little bit nerdy. I know you find that hard to believe, but I'll always remember that she was my biology partner at Santa Monica City College. Sue Lyon, she's dead. <laughs> well, all right, I got to ask. Was she hot? I, yeah, yeah. Yeah? And no, Does she age well? She, not, at, no, she's 73. Well, oh, obviously. <laughs> yeah, she was very attractive. Okay. She was very attractive. Yeah, so she's um, she's dead. But you know what? The corner's corner, you guys. Kirk Douglas and you don't know if you know about this, what happened, but it was on New Year's Eve. What? It was on New Year's Eve, and he had a little horn, and he Not also had that cute... time, <laughs> He had... Excuse me. <laughs> I'm talking here. He had a little hat that I'm said... I'm talking here. I'm talking... It said, 2020, New Year's Eve, and he took a breath to blow that silly little goofy horn, and he just died wearing that cute little New Year's Eve hat. So he's like dead. Like a heart attack or something yeah. from, like, blowing... Yeah, just blowing really hard, and he just fell out of his wheelchair wow. well he's trying to say happy new year but it took like seven minutes to get that across. that's I'm awful sorry. To hear. i'm sorry look at the look i'm getting you're look <laughs> we should say time, when you were on our podcast a year ago <laughs> year and a half ago you you believed it i did yeah <laughs> you believed it i felt guilty don't a little feel, bit don't i thought i got over it yeah shouldn't have felt guilty for a moment <laughs> How old is Mr. Douglas? He 103. Is 103. Yeah. yeah, just uh, I think his birthday was in December. And, you know, now he's dead. Until your next podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, let's All right, do some top five, shall top we? Top five and hit it, Vern. It's time to give a listen, you little creeps, to our top five. Okay, our top five is top five movies of 2019. So, Craig, why don't you go first? We're going to start with your number five. What's the fifth best movie that you saw in 2019? May I interrupt? Yeah. I need to do one thing. These are movies that had to be either made and or released in 2019. In other words, I have one specific example. You, my friend, a few months ago turned me on to um, The Prisoners, Mm -hmm. and I can't include that because that was made five years ago. 2016 or something. You're right. You're right. So there are movies that had to have been made last year and i do think we we yes, talked I about know. this before we had a little bit of a discussion of it might have been released in a film festival or something like that in 2018 but was it majorly released yes. in 2019 i do have an example tribeca in december of the uh, 18 but we decided we can cheat a little bit because it went on netflix the next month so it widely available it, like i said it's the spirit of the question great okay all, all right. right go ahead craig what's your what's your number five well uh <laughs> because i have a two-year-old and a, a 10-month-old uh, frozen two well actually i have not seen that many movies that came out in 2019 uh-huh. and so i have to tell you guys I, i'm going to be thinking as you guys go back and forth <laughs> i have two that I for sure consider. So uh, just real quickly, when you say a top five, do you just define it as? Whatever it, you want. It's favorite. So, okay. Favorite is the operative it, word. So, so here's yes. how I have to yes. do it because it's just personal to me. I do keep a top 10 list, mm-hmm. but I only put movies that I think are great. And and sometimes that list has three movies from that year. Sometimes it, it the cup overfloweth. But uh, I only have really two movies that I thought were genuinely great. And uh, so I have a top two. And while you guys do your number five, I'm, I'm going through my head. I, I did think about mm-hmm. this. I saw Marriage Story. I thought that was excellent, but it's not, I didn't think it was great. Forgive me, I, I should only be so lucky to make a movie that good. Um, I, we just talked about Uncut Gems. I thought Uncut Gems was dynamite, but I didn't think it was great. Uh, so. If I put something on my list, it's 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 that, and I only have two. Okay. Yeah. Well, Ira, why don't you go? All right. All right. I'll, I'll kick this off. Velvet Buzzsaw. No, just <laughs> oh. kidding. Just kidding. Just he kidding. hated that. Yeah, I hated that movie. High Flying Bird. Just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Okay, now that I got my shtick out of the way. Greta. Just kidding. <laughs> my number five uh, is uh, Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell was a solid film. It told the story really well. Clint Eastwood and uh, Sam Rockwell, uh, Kathy Bates. They can't do anything wrong, can they? No, I just thought it was a cast. very good, satisfying, solid movie. Yeah, it was a decent hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, my number five is uh, from 2019, guys. 2019. That's that's the year my movie came out in. Do you have any on your list from 2019, Ira? <laughs> um, Wait, I do too. We're going to tie. So I have some odd ones in here that I'm probably going to – I'm going to get yelled at a little bit. And a lot of them are things that we've talked about on this podcast, of course. But Chappelle Sticks and Stones and Chappelle's stand-up comedy from this year, it was really, really good. I found myself when I was watching it not only laughing, but going, oh, my gosh, this is brilliant what you're saying. And you're using the way he was using his celebrity to create change and create cause and critique. Uh, Man, I really liked that special. That was really a solid, solid stand-up special. One of the best I've seen. Agreed. Agreed. Does that work as a movie? Was it? Yeah, I think so. I think we're, that's what I'm saying. I think we're going to have a little bit of a, a discussion of 
is this a movie? Is that not a movie? I might have a couple of those in oh. here. But I think uh, we reviewed it on this podcast, and I think we kind of made the anti-wave decision that that kind of thing would count. Yeah. Well, certainly. I mean, back in the day, the, the, they were movies. Right. So, you know, it's interesting. I'm a huge fan of Chappelle, and uh, I have really liked the, the new stuff mm -hmm. after his Me break. too. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, I have gone back and I've watched it. I have found it um, up and down. Like I find some of the bits work great. And I, f I feel like he gets uh, blowback he shouldn't get. I think he's doing the thing stand-up comics should do, which is challenging us too to look at our current moment and be like, are we really understanding it? Are we really aware? I think some of the stuff he does about how we're oversensitive is absolutely right. And I, I, that stuff I love. Um, and I, I don't mind the stuff, the trans stuff, because I, I don't actually think it's mean-spirited mm -hmm. at all. I think he gets blowback on that that's unwarranted. But I find some of the bits are not don't have the nimbleness that he, the special he did, Killing Them Softly, mm -hmm. that's my favorite. Chappelle, and I'm obsessed with Chappelle. Chappelle and Rich, Richard Pryor's my favorite. Chappelle's my number two. And so I listen to their shows over and over and over and over, over again. Killing Them Softly has a nimbleness I find the recent ones, sometimes didacticism comes in there a little bit. And, and then I don't like that, but that's me. I think he's just grown into someone who is, is a little angrier. And I think with that nimbleness that you're talking about, I think that starts to go away when he has a sense of anger about him. And I find the way that he's, like I said, he's using his, his celebrity to create a change. He's trying to create... A discussion about stand-up comedy and about what's what's being discussed but anyway that's my number five all right so we're gonna skip Craig yeah pass by all right Ira we're gonna overlap I don't know I think we will on one I, I suddenly yeah. realize what you're gonna have and I know what you're gonna do one of yours all right what's your number four you don't want me to say what I think yours is no no you don't I know no. what it is and yeah. I, I just figured out yeah okay. okay all right my number four is uh marriage story marriage before story. mentioned marriage story uh with Scarlett and, and Adam, and of course, Laura Dern, I have a thing for her. No, it's really a good, good movie on a lot of levels. Uh, I found it to be a very satisfying film. Uh, that's my number four. My number four is a movie that we did not talk about on this podcast, although I think I might have mentioned it, but it's a short film uh, called Fire in Paradise. It's a documentary about the Paradise, California wildfire mm. that started. And oh my goodness, if you've not seen this film, it's... It's probably the best 30 minutes you'll watch, um, uh, except for my number one, two, and three. Uh, but it's, it's a great 30 minutes. And it, it interviews a lot of the people who survived the fire, what, what happened. But it's got a lot of footage because we're living in an era now where people have their phones. They whip out their phone and they're able to record wildfire taking over the, you know, the, the local school or, or factory or whatever. And you've got footage of that now. And some of the footage that people recorded was insane. And you just see these, these wildfires oh. sweeping over uh, roads and people trying to drive their way out. It's really, really incredible. Huh. Uh, so check it out if you can. By the way, this fire, it's not F-Y-R-E. It's not no, that no, documentary. Not that okay, no, that's a different documentary. Uh, that's a different fire in yeah, paradise, yeah. yes. Uh, Craig, we're skipping you again. You are, can I say something about Marriage Story? Please, please. Just real quick. So the, 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 so the funny thing is I thought Marriage Story was excellent. Um, I, and uh, I, I 
the performances, Ray Liotta, Laura Dern, uh, the, the Alan Alda, the supporting the mains. I mean, Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, how, how human it was. I mean, it was an excellent film. It's this weird thing. I don't know if you guys talk about this or feel this sometimes. It was this weird experience I had. We're watching it. I, I was like, objectively, empirically, this is an excellent film. Yeah. I see that personally it just doesn't oh, resonate that's right we talked about it at the white elephant party uh the, personally i find i found it, it <laughs> like at the beginning i was like these are two totally self-absorbed people uh th yeah. this director and this actor i can't disagree with that yeah. go ahead and go ahead. yeah and i was just like well n there's no there's no mystery why you guys are getting divorced sure yeah and so for me and by the way it made me think as a creative person, I was like, but then we were all self-absorbed and, 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 and I thought it was bringing a good point, but I, I thought it was an excellent film, uh, probably his best bomb box. Um, uh, I just, uh, just personally, it, it was not my frequency. Yeah. I see your point. Often I use this too as a as a litmus test. Would you want to be friends with either one of those two leads? <laughs> is that an interesting question? Yeah, I don't think I, I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be friends with Adam Driver's character, I or or, or Scarlett. I, I, I kind I of worry about their child and what that child is going to grow up to be. Ira, what's your number three? My number three is a movie we have not we didn't discuss on our podcast, and oh. it's something I saw and really liked a lot. I'm wondering, uh, if cats. You, you know, <laughs> Stan and Ollie. Oh. Did you see it? I did not. And we again, did talk about that on the I podcast. I spoke buddy. about it because I had it as part. Was that a that movie was on this podcast? We didn't critique it as yeah, the we primary did. movie. Oh yeah, we did, bud. We did. Yeah, I must be losing it. I'm losing it. We did. Did we? we yeah. Did. You don't remember that great picture we had of us in the bed? Oh my God, you're right. Us in bed. Yeah. I was the fat one. Yeah. Anyway, what do you think about it? For some reason, I like. Obviously, I like the film a lot, and it. Um, is a British uh, comedy drama showing the the, the burden and, and blessing of, of creative partnerships. Oh, that was eloquent. Yeah. That was really eloquent. I think that movie was overlooked. I think that movie was not appreciated like it should have been, especially the makeup and, and everything else. I just thought it was a really satisfying, um, such a well-made, powerful little film. We did talk about that We one. did. Go ahead. My number three is a movie we did uh, talk about on the podcast, and I think this is going to be on your list, too, I think. From 2019, The Legend of Cocaine Island. <laughs> Have you seen this, Craig? No. It's on Netflix. See it. It's, it blew my mind. It's, one of, it's a documentary about this guy who uh, he thinks that there is cocaine on this island down in like down in the Bahamas so he's trying to fly down there and bring it back to sell in the US but he's not a drug dealer he's just a dude and is it a, a documentary it's a documentary but it feels like a mockumentary it does it but it's not it has the vibe of a mockumentary but it's not who it's, chose who decided to follow him <laughs> it it's post yes oh post got it, got it's it. recreating recreating scenes. and the energy of this documentary is so fun and it's just a you don't see very many documentaries that are comedic where you're watching it going oh my gosh this is hilarious like american movie yes yeah. uh, but american movie is almost you're almost laughing at the person and i feel right. kind of mean-spirited here when when you watch american movie this is he's laughing at himself he's like i can't believe and it's wild huh. it's crazy this tale of trying to get this 
these drugs out of the country. It's the twist too in the third act. There's it's twist a, after twist after twist. Yes. There's a bunch of setup. twists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, check it out. It's a lot of fun. That's it's, your number three. Is that right? Was that your number that is my number three? Nice, yeah. nice. I pass. You pass. So my number two is the Legend of Cocaine Island uh-huh. for all the reasons Robert just said. And again, uh, just being technical here, it played in Tribeca in December of uh, 2000. 2018 uh but it went on netflix in 2019 so i thought i could include that and again a documentary a desperate man going on this treasure hunt and uh remember the ending where they show the latitude and longitude yes of the island the for last, those of you who want to find that island you can find uh, yeah, the island yeah. they give you the longitude and latitude that's the last little beat on the, of the movie i love that film that's my number two my number two is uh mentioned earlier on this podcast a bunch dragged across concrete man i love yeah, that movie yeah. and uh like I said before, I just I don't think I, I'm gonna forget any scenes from that movie anytime soon. It it just ratchet is the best word I can think of. It just kept getting tighter and tighter, like vice, and tighter, like a vice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really enjoyed it. Thought that movie was great, Craig. So it's funny that so my number two is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, Quentin Tarantino, and the the thing that I struggle with is for all of Tarantino's career, I've gone back and forth on what I think about him. I really struggle Um, because I don't, I'm not, I think he's ridiculously talented. I go to see all the movies. I think we talked about this when we were here. Um, I do, but okay, just bottom line on, on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think my favorite Tarantinos are Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, and the reason those are my favorites, I was trying to piece it together. So I think they all take place in LA. And I think they have a sense of place and the thing that you I didn't li- think Pulp, I mean, Pulp Fiction was an L.A. movie. It does. And, and, you know, Pulp Fiction to me is almost sui generis. Like, it's a movie that I enjoy. I, if you put it on, I'd totally sit down and watch it. But it it's almost like its own thing that that launched a whole genre. Right. And the as much as I enjoyed it, I never loved it. For some reason, Reservoir Dogs, I loved. Jackie Brown, I love. And these are not the movies that everyone, like, everyone yeah. is always like the other ones. But but once upon a time in Hollywood, I I even though when we talked about this, I had a real problem with the horror, historical revisionism in Inglorious Bastards, a real problem. Yes, and Ira, you and I talked about, about that. This. We talked about. That. I was I was out the moment they killed Hitler. Mm. I, I was like no no, uh, and 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 I, res- I I love scenes in Inglorious Bastards, but it's not a movie that I just I was like no I'm out. And I know other people were like oh I'm in when that happened. Here, intellectually being rigorous it's the same problem um and and so being intellectually rigorous i have to say that that isn't what happened to sharon tate that isn't what happened to those those people were brutally murdered and cinema cannot erase those murders and cinema cannot change what happened and what happened changed the country so being intellectually rigorous i am in conflict but in terms of my enjoyment i liked hanging out with these characters and watching these two characters. Mm-hmm. And I did enjoy the twist at the end where the dog and the acid cigarette and the flamethrower, and suddenly it became like this horrifically violent, like third act. So I do have to say that I, was Tarantino. Like a lot of, yeah, yeah. a lot of the movie didn't feel like Tarantino, but that was Tarantino. That was Tarantino doing Tarantino. Right. So I, I have to say, being honest with myself, I really enjoyed the film 
and the the 1969 Los Angeles that it captured. Right. I like right. the intellectual honesty that you've got going on with of, of it being conflicted. But I think that's Robert what and I have had the do. same discussion about this m- many times. Well, I like that it's got a conversation like about yes, it. You know, and yes. you have to give him credit for that. And again, I think I articulated this to you a few weeks ago too. The only reason why I can almost give the director a pass is because of the title of the film, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, this is a fable, folks. This ain't the way it really... And that's almost almost getting them the creative... You're okay. right, but I don't know how many audience members are really that nuanced. Who that thinks they get on it at that yeah. level. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I agree with you completely. I told you this about Inglorious Bastards when my college students right. you know, were saying, no, Hitler died in the theater. He was in the machine gun to death. I saw the movie. Whoa. Well, that's chilling. And that- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not about the way you Exclamation said that. Exclamation point. <laughs> But that, but that's so. It's the thing with the, 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 so that's the funny thing about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is I, I could almost see, and I don't know if I'm right. We'd have to ask Tarantino, but I can almost see the idea, which was, what if, yeah, these people went into the house next door to yeah, Sharon's, right. yeah, and it was these dudes, yeah, and and that is a great idea. It I is. can see being inspired by it, but when you're being intellectually rigorous, if I checked out of Bastards because Hitler didn't die, I can't. Sharon Tate was brutally murdered. So I, you know, I struggle. I agree. I agree. What's your number one, Ira? My number one. We're not going to overlap on this one then. We're not. No? No, I don't think so. No, you haven't seen my number one. Oh, then we're not going to overlap. I fucking love this movie, Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. Did you see it? I did not. That just eked out my top five. I'm really surprised it's not your top five. I don't quite get that. I'm looking forward to hearing your number one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Matt Damon, Christian Bale. I've said this to you about, wait a minute. He, he was Cheney in Vice. And you looked at me and said, he's, he's a chameleon, Ira. Yeah, I mean, Cheney, his body language in Ford versus Ferrari, I said he was very thin and wiry and kind of rubbery. Just the way he was, he took, he was like a different person. And I, I, I love the story, Le Mans 1966. And I said this to you before that it is a period piece. It takes place in 1966 and so on. But it, I think it was it, 67, bud. We made this we mistake We went before. back and forth on that. 67. I think it was... I keep went going, back keep and going. looked. Okay, keep I'll going. keep talking. We'll try. Um, it felt like an old-fashioned film. That's what I want to say. Mm-hmm. It had the feeling of a movie that was made uh, in the 60s. And I just thought it was so satisfying in the bromance between the two characters. And I, I thought on so many levels it was a satisfying hell of a movie. And I just was blown away by it. That's my number one, Ford versus Ferrari. And right now Robert's going to have the answer for us. He's looking it up. And the uh, other title in Europe, they call it Le Mans 1960. Oh, that? Oh, I wasn't looking at that. Let me see where. No, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, we don't have the answer? No. Well, then, all right. You talk. All <laughs> My number one is uh, a movie I've actually talked about to both of you before. And oh, this is where. Don't fuck with cats. Don't fuck with cats. You're pretty. <laughs> don't fuck with cats. <laughs> It had me riveted. Now, I this again, I think you could argue isn't a film because it was a three-part series, limited series. I all this media is starting to blur together now. It's like what what is a film? And if it was two parts, is that a movie or is that a TV show? Limited? I don't know. It's all I don't know. But at any rate, if you've not seen, don't fuck with cats. Please go watch it. No one I know has seen this except for my wife and one of my students. And I'm dying to talk about it with somebody else. It's incredible. And my, it, my barber went nuts over it. Yes. She couldn't w- stop watching it. She it's, found it fucked up, disturbing, and she was mesmerized. I'm telling you, every 
all of the movies in my top five have forced me to sit on the edge of my seat. Le Mans, I'm sorry, not Le Mans, but uh, Ford v. Ferrari, I wasn't on the edge of my seat, but I enjoyed the entire ride. I mm-hmm. felt like a roller coaster, and it got my number six out of five. I really wanted to put that on my list, yeah. but uh, this movie, the entire time I was sucked in, it was three hours long, and I, there was not a split second that I was not totally focused on what was happening, and it made me want to watch it again immediately. It was great. Don't fuck with cats. It's that says movie. more about you than the movie. I really want to see it yeah. based on your pitch. I'm telling you, man. Like, if you if you aren't fascinated, I don't I don't know what you want out of a out of a no experience. T- totally. I you know the the one of the things I love about certain documentaries, and I don't know if Don't Fuck with Cats is is this kind of documentary, but is when it goes off the rails yeah. in a way where you have to confront something about humanity that well, this does that you have to look at it yeah and and no matter what your philosophical infrastructure is you have to you when you're like no that i believe that happened and i now have to deal with this not only that it forces you to examine your cinema going experience the last mm. um f- probably probably minute or two of the film really challenges why are you watching this film and it breaks the fourth wall it gets really like very meta it's a it's a really is it a confrontational film it's a it's a chase film i mean it's a cat and mouse thing i don't know you just just gotta watch it okay was it 66 it was it was i hate to correct you like this but it was yeah you had a you had a smile on you could tell my body the language that 1966 by the way so yeah it was we were confused on that a few weeks ago too Uh, i want to say one i'm really did we finish by the way we did, no, we got to do his I number one. Your, not number one. But I want to interject one thing before we get to your drum roll number one. I'm really surprised that for you, my friend, you did not include The Amazing Jonathan. Amazing Jonathan was also on my list. Oh. And that was an incredible yeah. film yeah. this year. Yeah. A really, really smart. I was so sure that that was going to be up there. Yeah. Yeah. there was, yeah. This was a really great year for film great, yeah. and me. Like yeah. I, you know, you were talking, you said there were two films that really, really hit you. There were like 10 films. I'm going, these are all great. Great films. These are some of the best films I've seen in a yeah. long time. And uh, okay, real fast. I'm sorry. I know this podcast is going long, but a number of years ago, I saw End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal. That's a dynamite film. It's incredible. Yeah. When I saw it in the theater, I saw it by myself. As soon as it was over, I walked out of the theater and snuck into another screening of it immediately. And I've only done that maybe, <sighs> it's, it's really, I think, the first time I've ever watched the same movie right then. And as soon as I watched it again, I got the same feelings again because I wanted to keep going, you know? And then I said, I have to start sharing this with other people. And I started like, I, I started paying for my friend's tickets. I'm like, I will take you to see this movie. I just need to talk to somebody about it. No one else I knew had seen the movie. And I started going to it. I saw it probably four or five times in the theater just forcing people to go. And they were all like, this is incredible. And I, I had, had that feeling afterward, like, I, I don't get those experiences with very many films anymore a lot of films have kind of i don't know slumped in the past couple years they haven't had that kind of wow and there are a bunch this year don't fuck with cats is definitely that way and in fact i might go home and watch it again tonight it was great (laughs) go ahead what you got what's your number one one. the irishman the irishman yep and and uh what do you guys think I, i can see what i thought but what do you guys think oh we got a whole podcast dedicated to it uh i think we both liked it I think we both thought it was good. It was a... Am I speaking for you? Yeah. Long. Yeah? 
was long. I think it touched on some really interesting themes. I know, um, you know, I like the, the whole part about death and like some of the consequences of your, the decisions that you make throughout your life and where that leaves you in the last few remaining years of your life, you know, in this alienation of family and things like that. Those are really interesting themes that you don't see in most mob movies. Um, but I know you had spoken about it privately before, outside of this podcast, and I thought you had a really good take, which has kind of resonated with me. What did you think? Well, you know, I think the thing, too, is is Francis Ford Coppola, and I think he heard it from someone, said, you don't really know if a movie is good or not for 10 years. And, and he said, if you're still talking about it 10 years or thinking about it, then those are the great movies. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So you, we're all talking about this year, and... I'm going to catch up on things. And if we got together in 10 years, I'd be like, oh, I saw all these movies from 2019. Like I said, I haven't seen Parasite. I've only seen a handful. Mm -hmm. These are the only two I can tell you I loved. Um, but, uh, you know, The Irishman, so I'm a huge fan of Silence as well, the the movie that came just before this. this right, me too. Film. Yeah, and I, I really feel that Silence and The Irishman could just work they're like a diptych he clearly was trying he was making almost summation films one was going to be a summation film um about his spirituality and one was going to be his summation film also about his spirituality but about that in his secular life and i think that something and this may be what you were saying i don't is that i've come to start to think that mean streets goodfellas casino and irishmen are like an autobiographical tetralogy where you can easily replace gangsterism with being a filmmaker. And if you see it, you see where Scorsese is as a young man. You see where Scorsese is when he was middle-aged. You see him and how it ruined his marriages. And then in this one, I think you see him reckoning with his life and his children. Mm -hmm. And and the thing is that I don't. I, I I think his daughter. He gets along with his daughters. I saw them. He got a lifetime achievement award, and he they were on the dais with him. But I know that he left his first wife to come to Hollywood. And mm -hmm. I don't think the marriage was working out. But but he had a daughter with that first wife, and I I think they were in New York while he was in L.A. Now I I could be wrong about that, but. Um, to me, when I saw The Irishman, I don't know that there's anything more important than a movie that says, look, if you're lucky enough to get to old age, you are going to be the sum total of the decisions you made in your lifetime. And you're, there's going to be a reckoning. Right. And there's going to be a reckoning you're going to make with all the decisions that you made. And I thought there was something fascinating about these gangsters in jail like Pesci and he's like, I'm going to church. Don't laugh at me. And these guys, you know, how could they think they're going to be redeemed? <laughs> like, yeah. like after everything, but, but they're still doing it. And when like even De Niro's like sitting with the priest and even he knows he's like, it's hard for him to get into it. But I just, I, I, I found the movie, you know, and, and my dad died when I was 23. And so I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and, um, the, I mean, it's, uh, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and and got this they were in their 80s and it, I, it, I i'm so lucky I, I feel i'm so grateful not i mean i wish my dad was here i'd give anything for my dad to be here not that um but i i feel so grateful that i actually got to be with my grandparents because i was in my 30s but i was with people who were in their 80s mm -hmm. and they were very candid with me about what was on their mind and what was going on and I saw weird things. My grandfather was a lifelong atheist. I mean, he slapped the Bible out of my aunt's hand. Uh, and he said, that'll never be in this house. 
they thought religion was the opiate of the people and they were just committed atheists and secular humanists. And in the last two, two weeks of my grandfather's life, he was singing. He found God. He was singing Amazing Grace. Uh-huh. And he was saying like he couldn't believe it. And he had a dream where my grandmother and my father visited him. And I have this really, this moment, he was in a home like like De Niro was, and he was going in and out because of a UTI affection. And I sit down next to my granddad. And my granddad said, oh, Craig, I had this dream last night. Your dad was with me and your grandmother was in that wheelchair. And your dad was pointing to a golden clock. And he was saying, and I was telling him, turn it back 10 minutes. Just turn it back 10 minutes. And your father was telling me, no, it's going to strike midnight. And the time you're in right now is fake time. This is artificial time. You're going to be joining us in real time. And this is the fake time. What's about to happen is the real time. And I sat there looking at my grandfather, who's a lifelong atheist, telling me about seeing. And and a week later, he passed. And, uh, and so I, um, seeing that movie, you know, we don't know that till we're old, yeah. which is why I think people watching The Irishman might be like, oh, well, yeah, da, 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 da. But See, I, I think they're all yeah. distracted by Jimmy Hoffa. And I almost feel mm. like, I almost feel like Scorsese is, oh, I'll give you the Hoffa stuff that you want. But what he's interested in is that last hour. Yeah. Or 45, 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's our, our top five. Wow. Hey, man. Thank you for being so uh, candid. Oh, you're welcome. Feeling. Oh, you're talking, talking to him. To oh, so, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, I, I'd love to what you had to say. Yeah. You like how I just brushed over it? Huh. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, there's a dream. That's anyway, <laughs> Robert and myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, if anybody has some movies from 2019 that we forgot do? about, they can what? reach out to us. How? Well, they can reach out to us through our email, Where? which is robert at antiwavepodcast.com. Oh. Supposed to say or and slash or ira at antiwavepodcast.com or they can reach out to us through twitter or instagram our handle there is at antiwave right. we're all over the place yeah yeah you we can go to, to go to itunes stitcher go to go to google go, go to spotify go to our website yeah we'll throw us a few books over at patreon help keep the sprocket holes moving hey craig thanks so much for coming on the show thank it's you really guys. great to have this you if people want to find yes. you where can they go contact information the <laughs> Thank you, thank you, guys. I, the, I, the, I, there's nothing more I love than talking two hours about movies. So thank you for <laughs> for having me on. Um, the you know pretty soon we're gonna have a website, uh, secretmovieclub.com, and it's gonna have all our shows. So, but that's probably two months away. So we're talking January 2020. Right now, you could go Secret Movie Club Eventbrite in Google, and it'll show you our whole winter season, January to March, is up. Uh, you can also email us uh, at secretmovieclub at curiousproductions.com or message us on Facebook where Facebook it's at secretmovieclub35mm uh, and then our Instagram and our Twitter just at secretmovieclub. Great. And please check it out. If you're in the L.A. area, come to some of these shows. Uh, Craig always puts on a, a really great a, a great time, a great show. You slick some amazing films to be seen. Um, and I've always had a great time coming to some of these shows. Thank you, man. And you're just a good guy to know. You know everybody. <laughs> Who doesn't know Craig? I feel like our, our entire audience knows Craig now. Everybody knows Craig. It's, yeah, guys, do. guys, you do. guys are mensches, and thank you for having me on. <laughs> well, it's been our pleasure. Uh, next week, we're going to be what reviewing are we doing next week? 1917. It's a war film, Ira. Oh. Yeah. 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 I've been, that's got quite a buzz. It's about World War One. You know, back when you were a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So until then, keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out.
talking, 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 talking.